Attention, attention. You are listening to a pre recorded episode of The Curious Realm. Curious Realm is busy traveling the vast void of time and space to find the best paradigm changing content the universe has to offer. Enjoy the following transmission and remember stay curious, curious, curious. City of the Weird. Exploring topics from the esoteric and unexplored to dimensions unknown. Shining a light of truth on the darkest corners of our reality. Welcome to the Curious Realm. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Curious Realm coverage of the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in Jefferson, Texas, the Bigfoot capital of Texas. We have with us right now Jason McLean. How you been, man? So far, so good, man. Appreciate he, you coming, uh, coming out. The author of Metroplex Monsters. We have yes. had him on before talking about pterosaurs, other cryptids in yep. Texas. Um, I always love seeing you here at the shows. You've always got a vendor table set up. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the recent research you've been doing, things like that, man. Uh, so we've been actually spending a lot of time out in Thackerville, uh, Brown Springs. It's, uh, you know, start off more as a Sasquatch uh, area, but, and we've, again, we've had daytime sightings there, right? However, it became very, very apparent that there was a, a high supernatural uh, presence there, and so... One of, the thing, what, one of the things that's helped us do is actually sort of realize that there is a distinct separation between the two. So one of the big things we're talking about in the channel now on Texas Front Porch is that everyone wants to either be, it's like they're an aper or they're into the woo side. Which, by the way, if you're a paranormal Bigfooter, come up with that's something cool. different. Because woo is, it's like that only Ric Flair should be able to yeah. get away with that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> What I think is really happening is people are fighting over the name, right? They're, they're Bigfoot and Sasquatch. It's like, yeah. why don't we open that box back up and say, why don't we actually look at what's being observed? What yeah. are people actually coming across? What are they running across? What are they reporting? And you start noticing very distinct patterns that at least indicate that perhaps what we're looking at is two different phenomena. One is a naturally existing creature. Again, this is the hypothesis. And then the other is a paranormal entity. Right, mm-hmm. or, 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 or rather, a, probably even a range of phenomena. And I, I believe it was you that I had on that we were talking about. Is, is it the, is specifically the, the paranormal side? Yes. Is it the fact that it is Bigfoot? Or is it the fact that it is something else that is actively using what, right. what exactly. we are comfortable yeah. with and okay with accepting? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, one, of the, one of the examples I use is if you wake up, and you open your tent, and there's this giant dark figure with red glowing eyes. Not, not eye shine. Yeah. Self-luminous eyes. It's Bigfoot. You do it, 
in your in your in your wake up in your bed in your home, it's a demon or a shadow person or etc. It's the same phenomena, just seen in two different locations, going by two different names. Yeah. So either we are putting that on it, or it is deciding to change its its appearance to to make us more comfortable with it. And yeah. maybe even to hide what it really is. Because once it becomes Bigfoot, well, we're like, oh, it's a Bigfoot, and we move on. We don't realize that there's this other aspect to it, which does open a whole host of oh, questions. absolutely. But, but to begin with, the paranormal side of Bigfoot opens yeah. a whole host of questions. Hey, there's a, a host of questions to a biological side. Yes. Is, is there... And a lot of people think... It's, I've, I've even been guilty of saying it, uh, that the the paranormal side, a lot of the shows, things like that, that right. focus on that, mm-hmm. kind of pull away from some of the actual hard physical research Correct. going on, mm-hmm. um, which yeah, yeah. may be the case. Um, but, but at the same time, I think that it is important for us to look at both sides of this phenomena, because yes. even with the biological sightings of Bigfoot, things like that, there have been, the only way to explain it is, paranormal happenings in yes. the same location. Absolutely. Uh, be they UFO sightings, yes. portals, what mm-hmm. have you. Well, in so, fact, Curveil is a great example of that. Yeah. Where we have both sort of seemingly obs- you know, observed at the same time. So let me put this giant caveat, one bit at, one giant asterisk on the entire hypothesis. Please. Right, that, there is a, that there is a natural existing phenomena. We don't know if some par- you know, if a paranormal entity takes physical form we don't know what kind of evidence it would leave. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, we'd have to be able to prove yeah. paranormal to begin with. I- exactly. And so it's like, I've got, again, <clears throat> Metroplex Monsters, Dallas <laughs> Demons, Fort Worth Goatman, and other terrors of the Trinity River. I've got an account of a Lechusa that is clearly mm. impacting the f- you know, the physical no. world. Lechusa, just for the, our, yes. our audience that is not aware of the phenomenon. Right. So... Um, Think of a harpy from the Greek legends. Yes. Essentially, it is a it's a human sized owl, but the face of a woman. It is it, uh, that's the Lechusa is sort of the Hispanic name for it. So yeah. from Latin America. There's other versions, but again, easiest would be the harpies of the Greeks, yeah. right? But this thing was clearly physically interacting with the natural world, but it was clearly not a natural creature. The rest of the story shows that this is a paranormal entity. And again, the situation, it's a paranormal entity. Much like Mothman, things like that. Right, exactly. And so it's like, well, here's a paranormal creature interacting with the physical world. The Bible talks about angels taking physical form, eating, doing things, the watchers creating the Nephilim. So the question becomes with the natural Bigfoot, my big giant caveat to all this is we don't have a body. And honestly, uh, we have the Sasquatch Albavernix tests coming probably the next year. Sure. Right? Got a presentation uh-huh. about it going on as we speak. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Shelly Covington, Montana, has done a lot of fabulous work on this. Absolutely. I check as well. So this is one of those things where I, I think with the, when these tests come back, we're going to know one way or the other because the question becomes, okay, this, you know, the, the, this, this skin oil is either skin oil with DNA in it and mm-hmm. in, a, in a specific chemical composition, or it's another material, right? And the problem is, if it, beco- if it becomes another material, then we got a whole other set of questions. Absolutely. The question becomes, if a paranormal entity can take physical form, what kind of evidence would it leave? And that's a question that we don't really have answered. We don't have a good response to that. So I think within the next five to t- honestly, within the next five years, we're going to have either better evidence for there being a physical Sasquatch, a naturally existing yes. Sasquatch, 
or we're going to have to start facing some really hard questions. Now, I still, like you said, that's my caveat, is I'm still working from that hypothesis. So once these other tests come in, I think we will find that there is a naturally existing Bigfoot. But I think we need to also not get rid of the paranormal aspect. Yeah, we can't really close the door on those no. questions. Nor should we. once again, mm-hmm. even if the physical evidence proves an animal, we still have to find out the phenomenology of the right. background and what else mm-hmm. was going on at that time. Right, because there's this other question. And, and I think we've done a disservice to, like, the native lore. On oh, this. absolutely. Because if you look at the native lore and you compare it to yep. other like lore of the Fey from Europe or mm. the Oni of Japan, you start seeing very specific overlaps that you can't just say, oh, well, people come up with the same ideas, right? It's like, yeah, that goes so far. But when you see very similar overlaps, yeah. again, the Lachusa and the Harpy are a great example. The Goatman and Pan or the Leshi of, yeah. of uh, Indo-Russia or the Shahadim of the Hebrew. Like, there are, there's clearly this paranormal phenomena that is occurring all around the world and people are interacting with it. We see it with Bigfoot. Uh, there's a there was a tribe in Alaska who's again I'm terrible with names, but they talk about how you're not supposed to eat uh, salmon that a Sasquatch gives you because if you do, you stay in their world. Well, that's that's identical to fairy lore that we see in Europe. Where yeah. it's, if you eat their food, you stay in their world, and you start seeing again very similar overlaps with the with the UFO phenomena, right? Where you, time doesn't work the same way. They seem to be shapeshifters. So it's like the problem is there's this larger paranormal entity or phenomena that is that it's like well you, you can either do one or both it's like no maybe the world's more complicated than that well and we've we've had conversations with quite a few MUFON researchers stuff mm-hmm. like that uh, Kathleen Martin specifically yes. mm-hmm. uh, Sev Talk and uh, the the idea that abductions that kind of stuff mm-hmm. have started taking on a more paranormal quality yeah. and even those that have experienced abdu- abduction um, or close encounter have begun having more paranormal experiences. Right. Um, and this is, yes. like, notated in the research, things like oh, that. for a long time. Um, yeah. and, and it's really interesting to see them making that correlation right now. Mm-hmm. Even even experiencers coming back from their experience with uh, healing qualities, uh, yes. the ability to ESP, yeah. um, things mm-hmm. like that. It's it's pretty remarkable. Now, when it, when it comes to Bigfoot, things like yes. that. Have you noticed over the last few years uh, an increase in sightings, including paranormal? I think it's more that people are willing to come out and talk about it. Okay. Because if you really look, it's always sort of been there. It's just it used to yeah. be called the Fae, or it was sure. something else, right? Angels, demons. But the that's why I really think that the Bigfoot nomenclature has been put on this deliberately that this paranormal phenomenon is trying to mask itself as Bigfoot because then we just say, oh, it's Bigfoot, and we move on. Sure. We don't really recognize it for what it is, and I think that's definitely part of the that's part of the phenomena. Now, again, the UFO phenomenon is, is, is a, a thing unto itself, and I do think that the, honestly, I think the CIA and the DOD are playing a much larger role in, oh, in, how, God, that's, yes. in how that's being handled. So we'll put that to the side. But like the paranormal aspect of the of the, uh, of the UFO phenomena is also so closely connected to again like elvish lore, like the lore of the uh, sure. of, of the Fey and those kinds of things, and, and not just the Fey. That's like that's sort of a catch-all term. 
it's 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 in line with a ton of different traditions, and so the question becomes: maybe this phenomena, is, you know, we, we tend to say, well, maybe it's trying to hide itself, and I think that's a good possibility. It's, it's but maybe it's also that we are creating what these things look like by our expectations. Well, yeah, like we were saying, the yeah. the entity that is appearing as these paranormal Bigfoot right. is definitely using our own impression mm-hmm. of what we are looking for, what right. we are out there for, what mm-hmm. we are op- the experience that we yes, are open exactly. to. Oh yes. And using mm-hmm. that to its advantage. Yeah. Um, now where where do you fall in the camp because a minute ago you picked you mentioned the CIA alphabet oh, yeah, agencies yeah. things like that. Where do you fall in the the idea that they have a part in covering up Bigfoot. There, there has been, over the last many yeah. years, a, a right. going hypothesis that yeah. the government is fully aware of Bigfoot. Right. They're cool with Bigfoot. That's why it's a protected species in Oregon. Um, you know, but, yeah. but they know that they're out in the national yeah. parks and right. that they are hiding the fact. You know, that's a great question. Um, I'm ambivalent is not, is not the right word. I would say I, I'm kind of 50-50 on, on how much... Because I think there's this thing where we assume everything's either... The government is hyper-competent yes. and does everything very deliberately when sometimes it's just they don't know what to do with something and they would yeah. better... They, it's like, well, why don't we just leave this alone and not talk about it? And also create a culture of if you talk about this, then you're crazy, you're an idiot, right? Sure. They have a mainstream narrative that they want to push yep. and so the, it's less so maybe a lot of this is it's less cover up and more they don't want to deal with this because it, yeah. it's it isn't part of a narrative that they enjoy talking about or sure and so it's like let's just we'll just shun that those people so it becomes unpopular to talk. again my encounter with the pterosaur i knew i couldn't talk about it yeah. and i knew and i believe these things were still alive in texas but it's just so far south i'm like they couldn't be around dallas texas right i knew ken gerhardt for years before i i talked about it so that you know shame is a real phenomenon oh, absolutely. And, and that peer pressure will keep people silent yeah. so i think so yeah, I think it's really a self-regulating it. system correct now that being said am i going to sit here and say with ontological certitude that the government isn't hiding these things deliberately no well, i'm certainly not about to say that no because maybe they are right Who knows i, I think i think it's, it may be just be like again for me everything's a pie obviously but you know it just depends on how large a slice of the pie it is right how yeah. much of this is the government actually knowing what's going on and saying we need to hide this because it absolutely goes against uh the, whatever narrative that they find to be most politically convenient yeah and that may be a, a tiny sliver maybe 90 percent of the pie and then the rest of it is we'll just create this culture of shame because we yeah. want this very atheistic darwinian viewpoint because to them, that's more advantageous. Sure. Right? Because think about it. It's, well, here's, this is, again, the phrase, the science. has, has That's become its own, that's not science. If you yeah. say the science, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not science. That, that, yeah. that's, that's religion. Science is admitting you know about 70%. Yeah. And the rest, we'll figure out along the way. And yeah. our 70% may utterly change because of that 30%. Exactly. And we're okay with that. Right. And that's the thing is, we with sciences, we get... We get new technology. The science, you know, science helps us build new technology. The new technology shows us things we didn't know, and then we have to change the science that let you know. And yeah. so we keep growing. That's how it's supposed to be seen. Yeah. And the problem is, anyone who steps outside this very narrow window of exploration, you stop being a scientist and you become a florist. You stop becoming an archaeologist and you become yeah. a shoemaker. Like, and it's interesting that you mention that because. It, 
here in the last year since we met. Yeah. Uh, I've been to the International Remote Viewing Association, yes. International Association of Near-Death Studies Conference, yeah. uh, MUFON, things like that. And there are some contiguous names throughout yeah. that and people that research in all of those fields. Now, that, for instance, Robert Bigelow, yes. um, Hal Putoff, mm-hmm. things like that. And I had somebody here recently in my group mention the fact that they love one guest that I have, but they don't like the other guest because he doesn't say as much as the other one. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to remember, at one point, guest B was actually read on to stuff. Yeah. He actively worked at a lab for the U.S. government and wrote algorithms and things like that. So there are things that he literally cannot Cannot talk about. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when you're talking about people in the range of Hal Putoff, that kind of right. stuff, oh, yeah. I literally put forth the fact that when these strange new sciences come up, they just read them onto it. Yeah. Because now you got to keep your mouth shut. And we can yes. talk about it behind closed doors and how it relates to Bigfoot, how it relates to U- right. UAPs, oh, exactly. how it relates to yes. electric vehicles, and how we can monetize it, whatever. Right. But now you're read on, and you can't go out and talk to Time Magazine. Yes. Um, exactly. And they literally keep mm-hmm. these people inside this insular system yep. and read them on to all of these topics. Exactly. So even if it's the fact of they're researching portals at Skinwalker Ranch and a right. thing pops out of it and walks by and goes into another portal. Yeah. And this is a report from more than one person on that oh, research yeah. team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, mm-hmm. well, now we're talking about portals with Bigfoot. Yep. Now and well, and, and so like, yeah. look at, like Nick Redfern talked about this for years ago that he had again. Anytime it's well, it's a you know government whistleblower. You kind of have to just say okay, let's keep it arm's length. Mm-hmm. It's interesting data, sure, but you can't you can't say it hundred percent. But they were talking about how uh, at Area Fifty One that they were using Babylonian, uh, you know, practices to communicate with the aliens, right? And that begins, that's like, well, what's going on there? Like, what the heck is that? Now, is yeah, it real? Stargate type right, stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's weird. It, again, maybe it's disinformation, right? But there is this, uh, but you, we can't reject the occult connection with advanced technology. Absolutely. Right? Uh, obviously, the big one is Jack Parsons, and then, oh, I just uh, forgot his name, the rocket scientist from, uh, not the Nazi rocket scientist we brought over. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Um, yeah, I just blanked on it, yeah, too. I, oh, my I, God. Project Paperclip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Von Braun. Yeah, uh, Von Braun. Von Braun. I just said Goddard. It's yeah. not Goddard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah Von Braun. <laughs> well, it's like, Von Braun, what, again, there's the question, well, how, you know, how Nazi was he? It's like, well, he was Nazi enough to not get killed. Like, yeah. that's, that's the thing. Nazi but, enough to be given a lot of money for research. I, I, exactly. <laughs> it, it, precisely. And we know that he, he was dabbling in the occult when he was there. And that comes over here. Jack Parsons, intimately connected to the occult. There, in, in, we see that we see yeah. this tradition today with CERN. Like, why are like? Oh, it's art projects. I'm sorry. What kind of? These are not art projects. It's these are really clearly, wild art projects. Yeah, it's um, like, and of course, like, oh well, what about this? I, I use the word quotation mock sacrifice that happened like last year. We're like, oh, just some some of our scientists were just pl- pulling a prank. Yeah. Who yeah. who performs a mock sacrifice as a prank? And let's pretend it was a mock sacrifice for just well, a moment. I mean, cremation yeah. of care. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It's like, don't get me wrong. Okay, fine. Let's say no one actually died. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll give you that. Sure. I, 
Is the intent still not there? Right. It's like, is this not weird enough on yeah. its own? And again, it's kind of why I don't play with Ouija boards, even oh. if it's a game on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Don't, it it yeah. is about the intent of yes. the actions. And, and guess yeah. what? You don't need the Ouija board. Yeah. The, it, There's like, the frightening yeah, part. You want to get All s- you need is the intent. Oh, you want a good story on uh, Ouija boards? Go talk to uh, Bob, my friend over at Van Buren Variety. Yeah, he yeah. has a really intense story because yeah. and that's one of those things where you open I, up I don't even want one in my house and I really really no, want it, well, like it, it's a, a vintage Ouija yeah. board it's like it's in a, it's an occult <laughs> device and yeah. that's the thing and again I'm not even honestly I'm not sold that someone wasn't actually sacrificed at CERN sure. it's like do you who was this person and can we do a side by side comparison yeah. do you have them walking well, around there's but, even the whole hypothesis that the yeah. The whole guise of the first Gulf War was for us to go and actively take technology... Uh, Babylonian right. technology from from Saddam Hussein, well, and a lot Stargate of, technology. Yeah. Well, that's like that. I don't even necessarily think it's technology. I think it is clearly paranormal. Knowledge now, is technology. Yeah, it, yeah, knowledge is technology. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, I like that. Um, but the simple fact is, you, you we can't separate this deep occult with this high technology. No. We can't separate people talking about speaking with these other beings yeah. and high technology. And the fact that we keep seeing these. Weird, bizarre rituals happening. They're like, oh, they're art projects. No, no, no. Stop that. Yeah. An art project, like, I know what an art project looks like. I'm an artist. I, yeah. These are not art projects. Y'all are performing things. Because I know what that looks like, too. Yeah, yeah. That's still that's performance art. Yeah. But it's still, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like we can't separate these two. And I think that's, and I think there's, there's a bigger story there. Absolutely. That, again, we have a narrative, right? There, I was talking about the narrative that the government wants, which is a very purely atheistic Darwinian perspective. And that's the only that's the thing about that. You can teach that in school. So, so what do you think will happen to, I guess, the paradigm then of Bigfoot research when, when they are provided with that Darwinian yeah. research? Right. You know, things like right now we've got um, scientists looking at footprints and actively showing yeah. like, no, no, this ain't fake. Like, here's the ridge lines. Right, here's exactly. like this is an actual right. thing, and these are they aren't they aren't fringe scientists. They yeah. are like mainstream biologists and yeah. things like that. You may not hear it on right. you know Bigfoot encounters or things oh, like exactly. that regularly. Yeah, no, no. It was, so but, again, I think that's important, right? Because there's a difference between they're looking at the biological reality, yeah, right. Whatever their perspective is, they're looking at objective reality, and I'm groovy with that. We should look at sure. that because, like I said, my caveat is I think there is a natural Bigfoot. That exists, I think, I, but I think that's a very, very small population. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is we're seeing this other paranormal stuff that either because we want it to be or it wants us to think it is, it's getting lumped in with the big, but we need to separate those two things out. I Again, whatever your perspective is, as long as we're looking at, at objective material, groovy. Come with whatever yeah, yeah. perspective you want, whether you're a creationist or you're an atheist, I don't care, right? As long as, we're, as, long as we can look at it and talk about it openly and honestly, I'm down yeah. for the conversation. The problem is the conversation has been very, either you're an aper or you're into the woo. And I think we need to say, hold up, let's break this box apart and let's look at the actual phenomena each time and start seeing larger patterns. Yes. And once you do that, you start noticing there is this other world that the mainstream wants us to not look at that way when it's yeah. clearly got a connection. All I'm saying is let's look at all things openly and honestly, with, tra- with transparency, and just tell us what your biases are so we can put that into the mix as well. Well, and, and you have to admit that 
you have your biases, yeah. you know? I mean, that that's one big reason I, I harp on it all the time on the show. If you're out doing paranormal research, don't hit stop and rewind. Yeah. Don't hit stop and rewind on set. Yes. Like, even whenever I worked yes. with bands, I would give them their CD at the end of the night and tell them, listen to that Sunday. Yeah. Like, listen to that at your next rehearsal. Give it three mm-hmm. or four days yes. before, because otherwise you will literally pick yourself and your performance apart. Yeah. And not in the right way. Correct. Not, not in, like, the football yes. footage way no, that I, you're exactly. supposed to be doing it. Precisely. And that's and that's this big thing, right? And, and this other problem is the sanitizing of information. Where, Absolutely. You know, whether it's MUFON, BFRO, and every other organization I've met, right? All of them. It's, well, here's the parts of the stories we like, and here's the stuff we don't like, and we get rid of them. And I'm just saying, let's put all the stories out there openly yeah. so we can because again i i say with my caveat that if there is a natural bigfoot that that's that's a hypothesis that i have and i may be wrong like i said i think in the next five years we're going to know whether there is one or not honestly with because we're getting to that point where particularly with the sasquatch albavernix whatever comes back on that i think is going to really shape yeah. this argument moving forward because like i said especially with the new lifting of oil prints oh, things yes. like that in the last few years yeah. that kind of stuff um, no, exactly. Because my even the work that was put forth in Flash of Beauty, yeah. Bigfoot revealed, right. uh, exactly. phenomenal, phenomenal good information. Science. Yeah. Good si- again, it's not the science; it's good science, yeah. right? Again, the problem is we don't have the Spookatron five thousand to be able to properly, objectively observe yeah. paranormal phenomena, right? So we have to understand that that is a there's a line there. Like there is, yeah. you know. We just need to be able to say, okay, here's the paranormal stuff, here's the physical stuff, and maybe these two are intimately connected in ways that we don't fully understand. Maybe it's the same phenomena. Yeah. But we're not going to be able to know, or, but maybe they are two separate phenomena. Maybe one phenomena is attracted to the other. Exactly. Or maybe what we have is like, again, because, uh, a wolf like, and a deer. Yeah. They, go, they show up in the same spots, but they're not the same animal. Well, well and, so. and like any animal in the wild, they yeah. have an acute sense of reality of their surroundings that we do not. Exactly. They, that is woods that they traipse through all the time, and if there is something that is amiss, they are distinctly aware of it. Right. Whether, exactly. whether it's a deer, a hog, doesn't matter. Yeah. Something's amiss, and this is not the normal trail I'm going yeah. down. Yeah, something is, um, something so, is not right So here. even to think that so we have, perhaps Bigfoot yeah. being a large hominid yeah. um, would be curious of these things the same way that we are. Yeah. You know, and maybe, go, and maybe they have some thing? perception of them. And oh, they're, and they're like, guaranteed hey, let's they go. have a better perception of right. them. It's like, let's go hang out with, again, we'd call them fae or, or angels or demons or whatever. Like maybe sure. they just recognize them for what they are. So yeah. we have basically three avenues that I, but we need to know which one we need to explore. Absolutely. We need all of the evidence on the table. That's the only yeah. thing I want. I want all evidence on the table. So, and, open and honest and transparent so we can yeah. do good science and actually figure out see where there are patterns where where you know are the patterns diverging ways we don't expect them to Absolutely. are they coming together in ways we don't expect them to that's my only thing is yeah. i think we need to really open this box back up and take a better look at it a more objective view of it and we kind of need to say look this is like this is the perspective i'm coming from but i want all the information yeah. we got to stop sanitizing we yeah. got to be open to possibilities that maybe we don't like yeah and worldviews that maybe we're, that that we find alien or unfamiliar and accept and just say okay, yep, everything's on the table. Let's explore. Absolutely. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate you, Chris. Um, let everybody know oh, yeah. where they can get their copy of Metroplex Monsters. Let them know about Texas Front Porch, all that yeah. good stuff. Uh, so again, 
pretty much anywhere where fine fine books and trashy rags are sold. That's it. Amazon and, and BarnesandNoble.com uh, are probably the easiest ways to find us. But again, you can find me three times a week on Texas. I don't know if y'all can see it. Yeah. Texas Front Porch, T-E-X apostrophe S Front Porch on YouTube. I'm um, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. We got six shows on there, so yep. uh, and we're live twice on Thursday. So if you got something, we probably have something for you. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, we have a lot of fun. Come on by, say say howdy. Well, thank you so much for your time. While you're online checking out everything from Texas Front Porch, getting your copy of Metroplex Monsters, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. Yes, that is where you can find all the episodes. That's where you can find all of our live coverage from events stay tuned right after this folks we will have more interviews coming to you from the texas bigfoot conference here in jefferson texas right after this okay With the rise in attention to the health benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, including CBD, True Hemp Science has become one of the premier providers of full-spectrum CBD and CBD-related products. Using a proprietary spigeric process, True Hemp Science extracts maximum benefit from the whole hemp plant. Buds, leaves, stems, seeds, even roots... Every part of the plant is used and then reused to formulate a rich, complex profile of CBD, CBD derivatives, and terpenes guaranteed to provide the relief and benefits you need daily. Visit TrueHemScience.com to experience the best CBD oils, edibles, and topicals on the market today. And use code CURIOUS7 to save 7% off your entire purchase of $50 or more and get two 25-milligram CBD cookies or brownies free. That website again is TrueHemScience.com and the code is CURIOUS7. Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out-of-this-world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store.
Have you considered starting a podcast? Looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, Podcast Cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry. Specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals in fields ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution, monetization, and even social media strategies, Podcast Cadet tailors their services to the specific needs of you and your podcast. Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience? Sign up for your Podcast Cadet audit today. And let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to whole new levels. From consultational workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related on the Internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for your consultation or training and use code CURIOUS20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website again is podcastcadet.com. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to our continuing coverage of the Texas Bigfoot Conference here at the Tech Bigfoot Capital of Texas, Jefferson, Texas. In this segment, we are joined by cryptid researcher and host of the Cryptid Chronicles, Ryan Edwards out of San Antonio. How you been, my man? We're doing good. Fantastic. Last time we saw you, we were we were actively at the um, Wonderland UFO Festival yeah. in San Antonio. How did that end up for the day? It ended up pretty good. Uh, I know Dan Allen Jones was there. We had a couple yep. of his speakers. And it went pretty well. Uh, it was a good turnout. Nice. Nice. Yeah, apparently that's like the third year it's been going on. It's over in the Wonderland of America's uh, really neat little conference. I was really looking forward to checking a few people out and had to leave a little early, but it was great seeing you there. Yeah. So how have things been going in your world? Been going good. Been working on my podcast, been doing my research. Or hopefully trying to get my second book out by the end of this year or oh, okay. early next year, trying to get that out as soon as I can. Great. Well, let the audience see your first book, actually, Cryptids of the World. Great read. Let's let's start getting into a, a couple of things here. Um, out of out of everything that you did in your book, uh, what was probably your favorite part of research for that? Probably my favorite part of researching is... Finding the correlations between, like, cryptozoological creatures and paleontological animals. Okay. Like, when you see, like, with Bigfoot, okay, there are certain anatomical details in there that show it's an unknown species. It's not just imagination and speculation. There is actual anatomical details and morphological and behavioral that show there is a biological species behind these cryptids. And that's for a lot of them, from Bigfoot to the Yeti to the Nandi Bear of Kenya to the Queensland Tiger of Australia. A lot of yeah. these creatures correlate to known prehistoric species. Interesting. And, uh, you know, even to, to consider that, the fact that we, we have numerous times, a, a, every, every Bill Woodpecker's back, um, yeah. that, that is one that within at least my lifetime went extinct yes. um, and is back. Uh, in in numbers, not just like, hey, look, there's an ivory billed woodpecker. Um, even the coelacanth, that's probably one of the most famous versions of uh, cryptids that have come to be. 
Um, they were talked about and everything else being seen until they were finally caught off the coast of Africa in a fishing net. Yes. Um, so even even the recent find of the, I guess, what is it, the, the long-necked snaky face that they're calling it, yeah, the, the, the freshwater pleosaur yes. um, that uh, people have hypothesized that is Nessie for years as a pleosaur that's living in fresh water. They're like, well, you know, plesiosaurs live in salt water. There's no effort um, to exist. Until yeah. we find something that correlates to something we've already been talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what are some other examples of that? Because there's there's quite a few things. Even even the idea of um, Bigfoot, Nephilim, uh, giants, that kind of stuff. I hear in the last year we, we've actively found a dragon man in, yes. in China where seven feet tall, cranium about twice the size of your average human, um, very much many descriptions of giants, things like that. So, yes. Like uh, Dragon Man, it's a recent, well, it's based on primarily teeth and a mandible. Yeah. But from there, we can speculate on what the rest of, the, uh, what the rest of this human look like. Yeah. And there are many human lineages that diverge off of ours. Mm. You have Homo fluentiensis of, of Flores, and down there you have stories of the Ebu Gogo. What they describe is small, hairy humanoids that catch kids and eat them. Ebogogo means the hungry grandma, pretty much. Oh, wow. And then we, in 2005, we discovered Homo fluentiensis on the same island. So how yep. are people referencing an extinct species? Also in parts of, uh, of Africa, you have a creature called the billy ape. Think of a chimpanzee, but the size of a human. And before that, the names called, called an animal called a kulakamba. What people thought it was was a mix of gorilla and chimp. They called it hmm. the, lion, the lion killers because it was supposedly so vicious. And then we discovered the billy ape in 2007, this giant chimpanzee that correlates to these indigenous stories. Interesting. Yeah, and, they, you know, we talk about that regularly on the show, be it Sasquatch, Giants, what have you. Um, we really should be looking across the globe at accounts and stories from traditional aboriginal uh, human beings, mainly because of the fact of, A, they have lived in the region longer than anybody, and many of these traditions are unbroken oral traditions. So e even to this day, the Indians of the Pacific Northwest um, you, tell, their, tell their family, like, don't, don't do this with a Sasquatch. Don't yes. do that with a Sasquatch. Don't whistle at night. Don't yeah, go yeah. out at night. Um, like and it, not necessarily out of fear, but out of peaceful cooperation, Respect. you know? Yeah, yeah, you know, much like, hey, when, when a deer comes into the camp, yes. this, is, this is what you do, you know, uh, more of a situational awareness of what to do when you're out in the woods. Um, this, for them, is a known quantitative. It's not a, not a uh, mystery. It's not, not an a, unknown variable. As yeah, yeah. Anglo, how we see it, how, like, all culture sees Bigfoot, it's, like, an unknown to them. It's just another animal in the woods. But yeah. for them, it's also seen as like a people. It's another people in the woods. Oh, yeah. There are active stories of them trading with Bigfoot and yeah. Sasquatch and acknowledgement that they are an active tribe, yes. according to their teachings. So, yeah, we, we really do need to start looking more toward, I think, a native solution, yes. so to speak. Um, like, that's... One thing I look forward in cryptids is I look to see if there are indigenous stories of them mm. before yeah. white people came into the into the culture because that shows me it's more likely because once 
colonists come into an area, the culture automatically gets changed. Oh, absolutely. Like, look at the Wendigo, for instance. The Wendigo, the original descriptions, was of a more like a pale humanoid, like a, what we call crawlers nowadays. Yeah. But once uh, the Europeans went in there, it became more werewolf-like. and became what we now see as like a deer-like animal. Yeah. And that's because cultural appropriation and cultural inebriation, it's the mixing of cultures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to basically take the native story and give it the characteristics of what they know, which, of yes. course, would have been lycanthropy, things yes. like that from Eastern Europe, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, fully alive in Greece, ancient Rome, yes. all that. So, it, like you said, to marry the two traditions together and that becoming the story from that point on, yes. we really do responsibly have to take care of that. Yes. Um, and, and I think that... That kind of brings us to the topic, uh, like we got into with Jason McLean a little while ago, of the paranormal and cryptids. Uh, they have, over the last many decades, uh, really started commingling not just the communities, but the understandings, the research, the researchers, even. Um, where do you stand on that? With me... I've never seen cryptozoology as a paranormal science. I just see it as simply science of unknown species. Sure. But there is certain paranormal aspects to this field, but with me, I set that aside from crypt true cryptozoology. Yeah. These cryptids, I like to call neo-cryptids, because a lot of them have only come around the past 30, 40 years. Dogman, for instance. Prime example. Only came around in the 1990s, really. Yeah. Goatman, that only really started appropriating now in recent 10 years. Yeah. These neocryptids or paracryptids, I like to call them, it's called a mega sect of cryptozoology, I like to call it yeah. paracryptozoology. Yeah. It's beyond physical unknown species, which is what true cryptozoology is. Yes, yes. And, and whether it's the study of. Uh, indigenous species, like you said, that are known to cultures other than us, what have you, that is the field of actual cryptozoology. And we, you know, not that they're in a paranormal aspect, not that paranormal doesn't occur yes. in conjunction with, but, but there's a far cry difference between a Sasquatch researcher and somebody researching Mothman. Yes. For example. Um, and I'm not saying that Mothman is not an actual physical creature, things like that, but much more in the realm of paranormal yes. than, let's say, like Jersey Devil, you yes. know, whose, whose accounts go back to the 17, 1800s, things yes. like that, you know. Because, um, like, how I see it, I come at cryptozoology from very much an evolutionary and adaptation source. A lot of these cryptids are describing morphologies that just truly can't exist in the modern in the environment in the environment like for instance mothman flying humanoids when you look at the descriptions describing arms legs and wings uh, uh, something with a spinal cord and six limbs does not exist in modern day yeah. uh, all spinal animals have four limbs only these have six so that takes it out of the natural category and it yeah. shows something that's Unnatural. What it is, I'm not sure. That's not where my research goes. Sure, sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's one thing that I love about you is that you are very bounded with what you do. Um, your research, like you said, is very much in the realm of unknown species, emerging species, things like that, which is, yes. is far different than 
paracryptozoology, like you were saying. Yes. And uh, yeah, now, what what research have you had in the world of cryptids here in Texas? Well, with Texas, I try to talk to as many eyewitnesses here in Texas as I can. But usually, I am based down in San Antonio, so I talk to eyewitnesses there. One big cryptid I've seen here in Texas is the Black Panther phenomenon. Yep. These black cats I've seen around Texas, East Texas, West Texas, South, North, see these black cats. And it's interesting because truly what they are is kind of, is very unknown. A lot of people believe they're just malinistic uh, cougars. Sure. But DNA evidence has shown malinism doesn't really occur in cougars, especially not seen. So Yeah, yeah. It normally occurs in... in Anything Never with stripes or spots. Yes. You got you to gotta have the black part of your coat to melanize yes. to begin with. I mean, I can express that. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm melanized. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And it, 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 being from Houston, one that always pops to mind for me was jaguarless. Mm. Uh, not many people realize that, yes, cougars once roamed the yeah. Houston area. I mean, that's why the Houston Cougars are named the Cougars. Um, but there, there's an interesting animal, the jaguarless, that has was and apparently went extinct, um, but has been seen in great numbers over the last decade. Yes. Uh, to the point that Texas Parks and Wildlife has started actively acknowledging them, ranging again, yes. things like that. So, like. Uh for like the cougar we were talking about earlier. Yeah. At one time in San Antonio, there was no people didn't believe they lived there until pets were going missing and yeah, yeah. people were seeing them climbing over fences. Yeah. So then the officials have to say, well, these creatures are coming back into yeah. their natural habitats because, like the eastern cougar phenomenon, for instance, a lot of people don't believe the cougars be- uh, live anywhere east of the Mississippi. Yeah. This cougar sightings there all the time. Yeah. It's just not on official paperwork. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, you hop into South Florida, things like that. There are absolutely cougars roaming around in the swamps, yes. all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and even that, interestingly enough, we, we talk regularly with folks like Ken, Ken Gerhardt, things like that, about how sightings actively change regionally. Um, how, especially whenever you get into, uh, like, the, the southeastern United States, you're talking much more, like, skunk ape than you are Bigfoot. Um, yes. Things like that, so. Because uh, with me, I, like, when people talk about, like, skunk ape Bigfoot, they think it's, like, two different species. Or maybe the subspecies yeah. of Bigfoot. With me, I don't personally believe it's a subspecies. I believe it's what we call an ecomorph. An ecomorph is the same species, but due to the change of environment, they've changed. Like yeah. leopards, for instance. Leopards roam from Africa all the way into Europe, parts of Europe and parts of uh, Asia. The leopards that are indigenous to Europe had longer coats because it was a uh, colder, colder environment. The ones found in Africa are bigger than the ones in India. Are those two different species? No, it's the same species, but changed due to yeah, uh, literally Darwinized to their local yes. climate and, yes. and to their local food chain, everything else. Yes. And yeah, and at that point, you're talking about something that may get bigger and bulkier because it's in a colder climate, needs to pack on Ber- fat, Bergman's fat law. for the winter, yeah. things like that. And and it, that's interesting to to think of it that way because I've never really heard another cryptozoologist mention it like that. That it's really much more of a regional adaptation of the yeah. same species yes, than 
A, a different species, or B, a subspecies? Yes, because subspecies, actually, it's very uncommon within ape lineages. Of course, you yeah. have, like, eastern gorillas, mountain gorillas, but technically, genealogically, it's all the same species, but just yeah. ecologically different because of different environments. Yeah. So if this Bigfoot, like, when they talk about there's seven types of Bigfoot, things like that, primatologically, that doesn't make sense. Because yeah. it's either, it's the same species that has evolved different in, yeah, for different environments. Yeah, gorilla or lowland gorilla. Yeah. They're both gorilla, yeah. they're just like, adapted for a different chim- region. Chimpanzees and bonobos, they're technically almost the same species. What happened is a chimpanzee population was separated by the Congo River. Yep. One became bonobo, one became chimpanzee. They're only less than one allele different in yeah. DNA. Just that they change because of different environments. Yeah. The same thing might be occurring here with and, and, and even socially changed. Yes. Socially changed uh, to to great effect and to great difference. Yes, because, uh, taking for instance with chimpanzees, the chimpanzees north of the Congo River had to deal with gorillas, so it became a lot more violent. The bonobos south of the, of the Congo didn't have any competition, so they became... The bonobos of like very peace loving kind of like yeah. the hippies or what they call it. Yeah, yeah, which is what we see all the time on all the primatology shows, things like that, where they're, the female is in charge of the tribe. Yes. Of, of the, I guess, what is it? Not the tribe. The uh, troop. The, the troop, yes. Um, yeah, a lot of things are switched and swapped. And even the fact that they, they have sex for fun, not just for breeding. Yes. Um, there are a lot of small things like that that are. Actually, pretty major whenever you're talking about animals. Yes. Um, it's very more almost human, human-like characteristics. Yeah. It's, but for the longest time in primatology, you couldn't use human words. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, even in college, whenever I was doing psychology, things like that, we I've constantly, I can hear Dr. Churchill in my head all the time in his exact voice. Stop, stop personifying, Chris. Yeah, just because you see the ape doing this doesn't mean that they're doing it for that reason. Yeah, that's like, what you think. Yes, because that's what you would do. Yeah, because Jane, <laughs> Jane Goodall was almost left out of academia when she oh, used the word culture, which absolutely, yeah, she her research took a long time to come to the table because of things like that. D- yeah. Despite almost a decade of observation in the field, in depth observation to the point of acceptance into a troop. Yeah. Um, where where even being gone for a year or so, they would still recognize her. Yes. Um, and and that's pretty incredible. And like you said, to know that her research was pushed aside for a long time simply for using a terminology that now we are fully aware of. Yes. Like when we think of like, for instance, with the Sasquatch phenomenon, a lot of people like to use the word culture with Sasquatch. Mm. And some people say, well, because it's culture, it must be a human species. Well, not necessarily. Like some non. Yeah, there's dog culture. culture. Yes. There's dog culture. Like, do you go around and snip butts to say hi? No, I don't. That's but their they own do. Behavioral sense. Yeah, and that's what pretty much the definition of a culture. Absolutely. Well, there's that. There's the pecking order within yes. within a pack of dogs. Uh, hierarchies. All of that is yes. sign of culture. Yes. Absolutely. And and to deny that, I think is. More than diminutive and also... It's very human-centric. Well, we, we want to seem separated from the natural order. Well, and, and, and it's interesting that you say that. I was actually just having that conversation with my wife the other day. And the fact that we all too often forget that we are just really, really big and complex animals. 
yes. uh, 90% of our reaction to our environment, to everything that we do, is utterly guttural and instinctual. And it yes. takes a lot to fight that. Like, yes, like psychologists say, we try to go against our natural animalistic urges, but our animalistic urges are still there. But do we? Some people <laughs> that's, do. That's Some people the thing. do. Yeah. Do it's, we? A lot of people give into it because we want to see ourselves separate from the natural order from animals but even da vinci said himself we are just animals but that's it but smarter yeah that's all it is yeah and, and i mean it, when you put it in those terms it really does make it a lot easier to understand the i, I think the reticent fear that some people have a of the unknown yes because i mean Take a dog, pop him out somewhere that he ain't familiar. He may freak out for it's a little. A, it's while. a little monkey brain. Yeah. Oh, abso- like. absolutely. And and you have to be willing to accept that. A, to be able to, out in the field, set something aside, not let it rent the spare space in your head while you are continuing investigation. Yes. Like you, you've got to be as cold and removed from what you are gathering as possible. You know, at least if you're out doing like hardcore field research, things like that. If you're taking pictures at a paranormal investigation, you normally aren't like snap, snap, snap. Ooh, let me see what I got. Um, You could quite possibly be reading something into that because of the environment you're in and uh, the ecstatic state you're in. Yeah, like everything. Speaking about that, like that's why, like, what sometimes we're like. When I watch like paranormal shows, when they say like, "Oh, listen to this EVP," and they put words over it, I think it's saying this. It's you're already putting in that fear yeah. and that bias already yeah. in there without people letting letting them choose what. Yeah, yeah. You think that's how, how about you take a blank piece of paper and everybody listen to it and write down what you think it says. Then let's put it in it's a hat and randomly draw it yeah. out and it's see if be, we all said five, the same it's thing. Be five different things. But but if you go up and you say. You know, I think it says this. What do you think? And they're going to hear it. You've, you've already set the framework. Yeah. Like, you've you've literally a, set the foundation of decision. Yes. Now it's just 60-40 instead of 50-50. Yes. There's literally a, psycho, a psychological experiment. What they do is they put the word Bill, 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 Bill repeatedly. But what they do is they put a picture of Bill Nye, picture of a pill, then picture of something else. And you think it's saying different words. Yeah. It's saying the same word, but yeah. just because you're seeing that picture, you're going to alter what exactly, you Exactly, exactly. We, we really do experientially have to be very careful with that whenever we are looking at research, whenever we're reading research, even whenever you're reading yes. your book, Jason's book, everything else. You've yes. got to be willing to accept the fact that this is only a point of datum. Amongst a set of data, yes, and be dispassionate. Don't don't worry about a point of datum like destroying your paradigm in which you live or anything like that. Just understand that it is it's one more piece on the Rubik's cube. Yes, you know it's one more piece of the puzzle, and you need all those pieces. Like, yeah. even though people have different perspectives, different hypotheses, doesn't necessarily mean everyone's wrong. Everyone could be wrong. You never know. Everyone could be right. You never hey, know. Hey, one of the things we say on the show regularly, feel free to look it up. Until about 500 years ago, it was conspiracy theory that the earth was round. Yes. And if you said otherwise, you were burned at the stake, you were driven out of town, you were excommunicated. Yes. What have you? Till some dude decided to get a ship full of people together that were just crazy enough to sail to the horizon. Yes. And keep sailing. Yes. And then they eventually made it home. Um but amongst the history of humanity, 
for the for the longest jump. Earth was flat. Yes. And that was science. Yes. And that is what was taught. Heliocent- uh, geocentrism. We thought Absolutely. we were the center of the universe for the longest time to re- yeah. realize no sun is. Yeah. The sun is center of our solar system, yeah. not the, even the universe. Galileo, excommunicated for teaching it. Yes. Um, granted, he was teaching it in the name of the church, which is wise. Yes. Um, but... Prime examples of those things that, like, we, until until the time that enough people got together who were open of mind, open of heart, and not willing to point a finger and say, burn him, yes. the earth was flat. Yeah. <laughs> so we have to be willing to not point a finger at somebody's concept or and remember that in science, you're allowed to hypothesize any crazy thing you want. Yes. It's through experimentation that we prove or disprove the hypothesis, and then it becomes theory. Yes. And then it's still not full-on science. It's still theory. Like yes, the theory like of evolution. Incomplete. Yes. Incomplete. And that's the thing that, like, I look at with cryptozoology as a science. Like, basic high school science. Yeah. You create, you find data, you create a hypothesis, and see if that hypothesis is correct. Yeah. A lot of people nowadays, they create the hypothesis without correlating evidence. Okay, I, I just can't stand people saying, I have a theory. Yeah. Uh do you have a theory or do you have a hypothesis? Yes. Because I'll let you hypothesize anything. Yes. <laughs> but if you say you have a theory, now we need to talk evidence. And you have evidence, data that's correlated. That's to right. It. That's right. And, and people have that now. And that's just it. We have, And I think a lot of that has to do with the, quote, religion of science. Um, yes. and, and the fact of science. Oh, well, that's science. Well, you know, what's funny is my high school astronomy textbook, which I still have, uh, Pluto's a planet. Pluto's not on my son's astrological chart Yes, from, from NASA of planets. It's not on there. Yeah. You know? So science is not static. By definition, it cannot be static. Yes. Yeah, it is always in flex. Changes. It, it is it always in flex. And, and the day that you say... This is decided upon science. You are walking a fine, fine line of danger um, yes. because that could all be obliterated next week. It almost becomes almost propaganda. At oh, some point. absolutely. It a, that, almost a religion. And that's why yes. I refer to it as the religion of science, yes. because there are still those scientists out there that are open of mind, that are open of heart, that are exploration. Expo- they are the modern Magellans. They're doing it. Yes. And then there are the others that just toe the line. They're stuck in the and, paradise. And hey, you know, great. You've, you've written 25 books. Maybe reconsider what you've written. That's okay. Yes. You know, Plato, you can Plato said wrong. a lot of stuff. Yeah. He was never unwilling to question what he said. Yeah. Um, and I, we, need, we need to remember that. I say it. It's always easier to say you're wrong than you're right. Because once right. you say you're right, you have to show evidence. Now you've got to back it up. And yes. you've got to keep backing it up. Yes. <laughs> so I want to thank you for the time today. Thank you so much. It's always great talking with you. Of uh, let the audience know where they, where they can go to keep up with the Cryptid Chronicles, where they can go to buy Cryptids of the World, all of that course. good stuff. Shameless self-promotion yeah. time, Ryan. If you want to go on YouTube and check out the Cryptid Chronicles on, uh, on YouTube, it's my channel. You can go check out my podcast. Usually in the description down below in the Cryptid Chronicles, I have the CryptidChronicles.net. That's my website. There I have my podcast linked. Also, a link to my book. There you can go on the Barnes & Noble, Half Price Books. You can find my book there. The Crypto Chronicles, it's fairly small right now, but thanks to people like you, you can go there, subscribe, view it, love it. 
Thank you, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Once again, everybody, while you are online checking out all the great work from Ryan Edwards and the Cryptic Chronicles, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. That is where you can find all the episodes. That's where you can fill out your experiencer form if you have had a... Experience with Bigfoot, cryptids, the paranormal. If you're a targeted individual, stop on by, fill out our form, give us your evidence. You can upload pictures, video, all that kind of good stuff. CuriousRealm.com forward slash story is the link to that. Stay tuned. Right after this, we will be coming back with more coverage from the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in the Bigfoot capital of Texas, Jefferson. We'll be right back after this. Okay. And I... With the rise in attention to the health benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, including CBD, True Hemp Science has become one of the premier providers of full-spectrum CBD and CBD-related products. Using a proprietary spigeric process, True Hemp Science extracts maximum benefit from the whole hemp plant. Buds, leaves, stems, seeds, even roots... Every part of the plant is used and then reused to formulate a rich, complex profile of CBD, CBD derivatives, and terpenes guaranteed to provide the relief and benefits you need daily. Visit TrueHemScience.com to experience the best CBD oils, edibles, and topicals on the market today. And use code CURIOUS7 to save 7% off your entire purchase of $50 or more and get two 25-milligram CBD cookies or brownies free. That website again is TrueHemScience.com and the code is CURIOUS7. Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out-of-this-world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store.
Have you considered starting a podcast? Looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, Podcast Cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry. Specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals in fields ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution, monetization, and even social media strategies, Podcast Cadet tailors their services to the specific needs of you and your podcast. Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience? Sign up for your Podcast Cadet audit today. And let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to whole new levels. From consultational workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related on the Internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for your consultation or training and use code CURIOUS20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website again is podcastcadet.com. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to our continuing coverage of the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in Jefferson, Texas, the Bigfoot capital of Texas. We are joined right now with Shelly Covington, Montana. How are you today? Oh, hold on. There you go. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Up around to the front. Yeah. We got it now? It? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, fantastic. Chris? Fantastic. I thoroughly enjoyed your presentation a Thank little you. while ago. Um, let's let's get into a little bit of talk, first off, about Alba Vernix, okay. uh, a lot of the research you've been doing out in the field, um, and then we'll go into what it is to do research out in the field okay. and how to go about that. So. Sure. Yeah. How did you get into cryptids? How did you get into Bigfoot research to begin with, Shelley? Okay. So... My husband and I have been married 37 years now, Mm. and I've actually known him since I was 13 years old. And at one point in our lives, well, early on in our marriage, he would talk about something that happened to him in East Texas on a hunting trip. And he had gone out to the Angelina National Forest um, to meet up with another gentleman the next day. And this was in 1982, 83, 83. And he was camping, waiting on his buddy, off-road in this big, giant four-wheel drive. You know, back in the 80s, we had the giant ones, you know. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. That's what they were called, right. (laughs) And uh, he was sleeping under the tailgate or laying under his tailgate Mm. with his sleeping bag next to his fire. And he would talk about something circling his camp in the wood line, Mm. breaking things. And he was trying to go over in his head, you know, is that a cow? There shouldn't be a cow out here in the National Forest. Um, And he said the second time it came around breaking things, he knew he was being invited to leave the woods. He jumps up, throws his sleeping bag, grabs his firearms, runs over the fire, and sleeps in town at the gas station. He said it scared him to death. Wow. If you know my husband, you know he's not scared of anything. Um, He's actually my dad's best friend, or their best friends. And my dad's a state narcotics law enforcement officer, retired. And uh, 
So he would tell me the story, and we couldn't figure out what he was talking. Or, you know, I'm like, what animals are in Texas that would be doing something like that? This went on for 25 years for me and him visiting, you know, once a month about it on the couch on a Sunday. True. And finally I said, are you talking about Bigfoot? And he goes, yeah, I just didn't want you to think I was crazy. From that moment on, I knew he's not a liar. You know, I know my husband, I've known him all my life. And I was on a mission, so I dived deep into the Internet because our children were grown and gone by then pretty much. So, and I wasn't really working a lot, so I just get on the Internet and start looking up Bigfoot. Yeah. Everything I can find. It led me down rabbit holes of YouTube channels. And I was watching all this stuff, and I'm like, Dawn, look at this. I mean, they're saying they talk. They're saying all these things. And one thing I noticed was people would say, yeah, we found Bigfoot evidence. We have some hair. And they'd have holding it in their bare hands. or yeah. And I would just say things like, well, just lick it then, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, yeah. It, you know. And just the more I read, the more I didn't believe. I believed my husband. I believed in the Patterson-Gimlin film. I remember that as a child. And I thought, I've got to find out what's going on. So being from a law enforcement family, I thought, oh, my goodness, my parents are going to, What you know, I don't yeah, want to yeah. embarrass anybody. What should I do? And I thought, wildlife DNA kit. Because the, the point is not, I, I'm trying to go out and discount everything possible first. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even even Big recently even recently working with targeted individuals, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, I've invested in a crazy panoply of RF mm-hmm. gear, yes. infrared, thermal. Right. And, and it freaks them out whenever I bring out a radiation detector. Yeah. Let's see if there's any gamma waves going on. You may have a fault line running right. under your house. Do you do you have, you know, a gas leak in your house is it, are you experiencing something like the great oracle of delphi right now right. where you're just having slight hallucinations we're we're going to find out all of the quantitatives that we can eliminate exactly. to leave the anomaly exactly and so that led me to creating my own look cuz i thought knocking on trees and doing calls and stuff is cool but stories are stories sure you know they're great but we got to do better Mm. Because I was on a mission at this point to, sure. to prove my husband was right. I knew he was right, but it was important to me. I don't know why, but it just became this passion of mine, <laughs> you know, and th- hundreds of thousands of dollars later. But I just, I don't know. This is something that I was really adamant about finding better tools. Yeah. And better evidence, if any evidence. You know, we've got circumstantial evidence. We've got stories. We've got a lot of things. Well, especially coming from a family with law enforcement in the background. You know, there's there's one thing to your hearsay evidence. Mm -hmm. And all important, but we also know that uh, eyewitnesses can't be depended on in court. No, they are They are not admissible. Exactly. Um, You can come in and tell your story, but is it going to weigh in as heavily as... A, a bloodied piece of rag or something right. like that or a, a weapon with fingerprints on it? No, absolutely exactly. not. So I get invited to the Olympic project. Oh. 
And Explain to the audience what the Olympic Project is. They're a group out of, uh, on the peninsula that work in the Sasquatch field. They're well-known, and they just have a sense of logic mm. to them. Uh, they were created by a gentleman named Derek Randalls and another gentleman that was a law enforcement officer who is no longer involved because he's just out of Sasquatch stuff altogether. Yeah. Good guy. Um, but they're kind of considered the epitome of long-term good research. Sure. Good audio people. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, anyway... I was doing a podcast at the time about wildlife behavior because mm. with Shane Corson, who is part of the Olympic Project, and he invited me to come up. So I think to myself, okay, I'm a Southern girl. I get invited to the Olympic Project. And I had met Adam Davies there mm. as well. And I'm thinking, what, well, Southern girl's got to bring a gift. You don't just show up at someone's <laughs> home without a thank yeah, you yeah. gift, right? Yeah. So I go and I start researching, you know, the forensic field, the medical field about a little wildlife DNA kit for myself. Sure. Well, what can I take? Oh, I know. I can take a bunch of these wildlife kits. I can make a bunch of them. Yeah. Right? What that taught me was it, it tells everybody who you are. Mm. It also tells me who you are. Yeah. Because when I handed these wildlife kits over to every member of the Olympic project, they were like, wow, sit down, tell us what this is and show us. Yeah. They yeah were how can we actively utilize this in what we're doing? Yes. So then they invited me to be a part of the Olympic project. But I also would give these to people that would invite me to expeditions because I wanted to know what these people were like. Oh, sure. That's an immediate litmus test right there. Yes. Like, uh, you know, okay, well, how do I use these swabs? Well, you know, there were groups like that. that I would give them the same kit, and they were like, oh, cool. Yeah, chunk exactly, exactly. So that right there was telling me who you are yeah. and who and I'm telling you who I am. Yeah. And I think that's what the Olympic Project saw immediately. Sure. So from that point on, I just started getting better at making better kits. And providing more things like eDNA comes along, you know, yeah. using better dry swabs. Yeah. Well, then last year, let's jump up seven, eight years or however long it's been. I think I've revamped that kit nine times. Wow. I just want it better. I yeah. want Well, and that technology tools. changes annually. Well, like, this, if this not more genre regularly. has no real tools that people can yeah. grasp at a low cost. You know, yeah. thermal's expensive. Yeah. Audio recorders. When you start traveling and piling on all of the equipment that yeah. we think are going to give us something the, fantastic, yeah, the you're edge. still spending, you know, a house payment. Yeah. So, to me, I felt like, and this was the other thing, citizen science became a really big deal for me because what I realized was what I was doing was considered citizen science. Oh, absolutely. And I became very aware at this conference a few years back when Dr. Melder, I spoke the first day, and I spoke about DNA collection but also nature journaling mm. and wildlife tracking because I'm a certified wildlife tracker. Oh, absolutely. Two, which is recognized all over this, the, the world, but I'm certified in the state of Texas. 
But this is about morphology, behavior, Absolutely. all of those things. But anybody can do it. Yeah. You don't have to read and write to do these things that I'm handing over. It's, it's old world stuff. Sure. You know, go get back to the basics. Yeah. You know, well, Lewis mean, and Clark were Even, even nowadays, because I, I am not um, an incredible note taker. However, with today's technology and your cell phone, sure. you could quite literally Captain Kirk it and then transcribe it. Absolutely. Like right there on your mobile device. So like on my audio recorders, I put out three or four yeah. every night, same time. My brain knows it's 6.30 no matter what month it is mm. or how dark or light. i got to put out three recorders at least, two thermals. And I'm working on thermal work intensely right now. Mm. We can talk about that later because I'm going into some really weird stuff but cool. anyway the kids and and citizen science so journaling if you don't like to write down or use your phone yeah but you like to doodle and draw so what i'm doing now is journaling tree structures because mm. do we really know if they're doing these because no one's ever seen yeah. a sasquatch make a tree structure yeah I don't know of any Native American stories. Have we found a lot of evidence surrounding tree structures, no. fur, tracks? No. Yeah, exactly. It's stories. And so what if you sit down and you journal your tree structures? Because mm. in the law of journaling, which is how Lewis and Clark came to this country, sure. journaled all the species, yep. you're starting to see details. Yeah. So what that does is... You, get, you ask three different questions. What does it remind you of? Mm. Oh, now I can't remember because we're on. <laughs> but you're asking these three different questions of this tree structure. Then you start going down rabbit holes of, okay, what kind of wood are these trees? Is it all the same wood? Is it a certain type of pine? Mm. Then you start looking into, well, wait. Now, how long does it take for white pine to degrade? Versus cedarwood. ash, whatever, yeah. Right. How big is the base of this thing? You're doing all the measurements. Yeah, would it be that they were all put there at the same time? Would it be that they were all harvested at the same time? When was the last flood here? You know, now you're going down these rabbit holes of details that you aren't looking at. You were just walking around going, look, no human can make that because it's so big. Now you're seeing tiny details that are educating your mind about what these things are made of and possibly how else were they made. Well, well, and even to go through and sketch them. But you are sketching. You know. So what I'm doing, because I don't give really any value to Sasquatch creating these structures. Mm. So I'm uh, journaling them. And in 10 years, let's say... They get evidence of Sasquatch through my DNA kits. Sure, sure. And they say they do build them or they don't. I have a 10-year book yeah. of my a data. compendium that you can hand add. over. Exactly. Do you see? And everybody could do yeah. something. They're just, the thing is, quit listening to other Bigfoot people. Yes. We are not qualified. Go ask the experts outside. Yes. That are qualified in your field. But what we can do, and what's done regularly, and for those of you out there putting the poo-poo on citizen science, uh, I present to you Comet Hale-Bopp. 
<laughs> um, uh, you know, like we, we regularly have astronomic bodies exactly. found by backyard astronomers. Well, that's the, the whole um, deal. And, yeah. and the other astronomers, like, literally, that's their job, Jack, is What's, to find new astronomic bodies. But this dude found it in his backyard. Wasn't there a case of that where it, they were working on something for 25 years yeah. and they just handed it over and it took two weeks? Yeah. Because yeah. It, you, can, you can get very myopic in what mm-hmm. you're doing. Even we were having the conversation with Jason and with Ryan Edwards earlier about evidence gathering. Um, I did quite a bit of paranormal research back in my day, things like that. And um, we never looked at footage. Mm-hmm. Like, Days later, mm-hmm. like a week later, we would get together and you bring your footage and I'll bring mine and mm-hmm. everything else. But we never looked at it on site. You, you are adrenalized. Right. You're, in an, you're in an information zone of gathering and experiencing that you really need to be heightened and aware of and need to, need to not put that situation on the evidence that you're gathering. Right. You know, um, because, Correct. yeah, you're there for a reason. You're there mm-hmm. for a purpose. And that could get... Very easily clouded when you're well, when you are looking at evidence exactly. and not looking at it dispassionately. That's right. That is why I work alone. Mm. People ask me all the time, "Why are you in the woods all by yourself all the time?" And I mean, not every moment. I sure, have, sure. You know, I do expeditions, but in actual observation, I work primarily alone, and because I don't want anyone clouding yeah. my thought process. On what I'm collecting on a daily. Yeah. Because I'm putting out thermals every day and I'm putting out audio every day. And I need more than one thing. Mm-hmm. When you get a lot of people together in a situation, no matter how logical they are. Yeah. Many times. Absolutely. It's a mob mentality. Yep. And Did the mob rules. That? Did you hear that? And the mob rules. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my yeah. God. And then it goes. And Phew. we were talking about that, Ryan and I, just before you came on about EVPs. Mm-hmm. And, oh, did you, does it sound like it says this? Well, you've already laid you've the groundwork yes. for it to sound like that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's not a, mm-hmm. hey, listen to this. Do you hear anything? Mm-hmm. Or even, hey, listen to this. Just listen. Just listen to it. Exactly. Not even, do you hear anything? Do because even lead. then, do you are leading lead. and prompting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guarantee you, folks, the day you're on the other side of an interrogation table from a detective, you'll be happy for somebody not leading and prompting. Uh, well, you know, what I <laughs> because do... Because that's what they do to yes, get you, to say you literally what you into to. what they want to say is prompt you to give them the response that they're looking for. So you really oh, do I have, have some, to be... Some really hardcore interrogation. I'll bet. <laughs> and, well... But, but you've got to be careful with what you gather, how you gather it. I was making the joke um, earlier while you, were, while you were giving your presentation of, you know, never dawned on me, but if I get a hair, I'm going to cut it in half and send half of it to 23andMe. <laughs> I just got a question about that. To an individual, and they we said, hate to tell you, but you are related to a dog. Take your money. And you're it's you're related be... to a dog. Yeah. Um, which, hey, if it comes back candid, cool. We know right. it's a dog. Right. You know. But at the same token, we we are right now at the point of it, just speaking of twenty three and me. If, if you went out and had your data done right now, five years from now, you'd go, and it's one hundred and eighty degrees. And there's mm-hmm. been more than one case of that where someone's like, oh, I found out I had this bloodline. And then they went back it's and had it done differently. Well, it's not just about the money. It's about the fact of 
we just found new allele groups. We just narrowed down Mongolian yeah. bloodlines, things like that. So, but private that organizations, and I'm telling you, I just had a conversation mm. with a geneticist last week. He's like, this. Yeah. Because, like I said, 20 years ago yep. on crime shows, you see them saying, oh, we went back and found a spot of blood under a baseboard, and they were mm-hmm. able to separate, oh, it was this guy and this girl yeah. mixed together. I wouldn't, you know, if me and my sister, who have the same parents, sent in our DNA, it would come up it, completely it, different. Yeah. So... I have no interest in those type of organizations. Mm. I think um, I think it's a it's going to get better, and I think, like you oh, said, sure. it's always getting better. Yeah, yeah. The science is always getting more accurate. Yes, I think one day, even though they tell us they can't do it, but I think one day they will be able to pull DNA from hair. Oh, yeah. And they can't, but I think yeah, they will. Not as of yet. No. But it comes from a follicle, and there's... there's. Well, the follicle, even I'm yeah. thinking even more than that, because if you go from 500,000 genomes to well, 5 billion genomes in a short period oh, of time... Oh, absolutely. There's tons of stuff I think yes. they're going to find out. Oh, they they, and do. that's what I'm saying. Those, those bounds are expanding annually. And honestly, by leaps I'm, and bounds. I'm not qualified to even talk about this. I That's not my yeah, area. Yeah, I, my I area say it on the show all the time. I went to school for eight years. I hold no degree. Right. I've just read a lot of books and seen a lot of shows. And, right. But you know. my, you know, my goal in life for me and my passion in Sasquatch with like things like Alba Vernix, the wildlife DNA kits is to pass along to regular folks like myself, because we're 90% of the Sasquatch world. Oh, absolutely. We're just average Joes. Yeah. To pass on some kind of little idea that maybe they can pick up on and expand upon it. Well, sure. You know, DNA kits are not a brand new thing. No. At all, right? But I try to afford people to get them at a much lower cost, And how to properly collect it. I've done a lot of work, and I feel good about that. The Alba Vernax was just a happenstance of me doing just my little job. Yeah. I don't care if it's, you know, Sasquatch or human, but what we figured out is we have a new tool. And the Alba Vernax thing with Doug Hycheck from Monster Quest Mm -hmm. contacts me. It was like, this is fantastic, Shelly. You know, the the white waxy stuff is is so sick and it etches into glass and plastic, they're finding. The prints. Oh, wow. And then he's, he's doing this work where he's comparing compounds from our sebum to mm-hmm. other primate sebum because we we don't have hair. Yeah. Other primates do. And he found out that there's one less compound in our sebum compared to other primates. So that right there isn't having to DNA test. That's right. That's a whole nother exciting But But even thing. getting to the point where, if, like you said, if DNA could be pulled from hair... If it could, I'd say they can't. There's, there's nothing saying that we wouldn't be able to pull DNA from hand oil prints, face well, oil yeah, prints, things like that. Oh, yeah. There's DNA in that. Absolutely. We know that. Exactly. So, yes, that was what I yeah. felt so dumb because it was like all these years you get people saying, 
get the dermal ridges, get the handprint. You know, we see sure. reports of sure. handprints on doors Absolutely. and windows. We never, never considered about, about residual. Yes. Never thought about residual evidence. And here we are today. And, and that's within the last year and a half, yes. two years. Year in the last year. Yes. Because it was this time last year yeah. when Michael Waldy yep. and Logan Kraft went out, they got the window, and um, we pulled that DNA. And Cliff still has it. But it was hilarious because I, I just felt so dumb. But I, I, I find it interesting, though, that we, and perhaps it's just because it would be surface DNA and not in the core follicle of the hair itself. But they could. The, because it's on my hand, it's on my arm. You would think that it would be on the hair that comes out of the arm. Maybe, yeah. You know, you never um, know. But even be able, being able to look for that on the hairs. Now that you know what that is and what right. you're looking for, that gives a whole new set of data. Well, eDNA to to, exta- to examine things with eDNA. If you see a Sasquatch standing behind a tree, whether you get a picture of it or not, we would love for you to get a video. Sure, you can walk over and scoop up that dirt. Oh, absolutely. And send it in, and now they can... Yeah, they aren't wearing well, shoes. They can get it from water. Yep. They now have DNA kits that you can take into the field and find what are those snakes in Florida that are... Uh, pythons? Uh, anacondas? Not anacondas. Or pythons. I think yeah. it's pythons. They just scoop up the water, test it right there, and they know if the pythons have been in that water. Yeah. They can get... They are working now on air DNA. That disturbs me on so many levels. I know, right? <laughs> for for those of you who tune into the show regularly, my brain just went utter fractal. It went real man, quick, didn't it? It oh, went man, 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 child is ooh, where it went. Ooh, yeah. But that's what Doug and I were discussing. So, Alba Vernix was born out of basically the white waxy residue, mm-hmm. because when we were pulling that off of the with our swabs off of the glass, is very viscous and so getting it off it just seemed you know like compared so like let's say our sweat and our oils are kind of baby oilish Mm -hmm. this seemed more like vaseline you know like heavy almost fatty yes yes more fatty and so that's where the word albovernix came from white waxy Mm -hmm. coating covering protectant Alba meaning white. Vernex is basically what babies are covered with when yeah, they're yeah. born. But that's all I could come up with. But it works. It, yeah. The, the point of that was is to get the word out because we get reports of people finding handprints. Yep. And if you can collect that with any kind of knowledge. How would, some, I, how would somebody go about collecting a handprint off a window? If they're out camping, just, things like that, they find one that pops well, up on their truck window, something like that. The thing I always tell people is wipe your windows down with some alcohol before you go to bed. Because most of the time, these handprints are very much human handprints that mm. were there. You weren't seeing them until Popped the dust up with in the temp- air. temperature differentiation, yeah. something like that. Right. But if you feel like you've got something going on in your area, I know in Washington area where I go, a lot of people sleep in their cars. They all drive Subarus because they're all wheel drive and they get wherever they want to be. Yeah. And you and can sleep all- in the back. Right. There's a lot of pushing and rocking on vehicles, a lot. Mm. So, do you feel that 
there's going to have something in your area, just swap it down with alcohol. Yeah. Right? Preferably, folks, 91%. There you go. Minimum. Or denatured, um, whatever. Well, you got. yeah, because I mean, seventy percent's all right, but that's still like thirty percent water, so you could still be smearing quite a bit of that. Just wipe it down really yeah. well, even if yeah. it's with a dry paper towel. Yeah. If there's going to be a hand smudge on there, and you wipe it with a paper towel, it ain't going to look too much like a hand smudge. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know what I mean. But yeah. anyway, collecting the handprints and face prints. It's basically the same as what you're watching on, you know, any crime show. In my kits, I provide large laminates. I provide tape on scale. We want forensic scale. Yes. Super important. Super important. Listen to me. Tape on scale and practice, practice, practice. Well, and, and even, even if you're taking a picture, it's something that we talk about regularly on the show. Don't get crazy. Don't try to zoom in your camera. No. Ta- video take a, it. Take a, if you can video awesome video um, but even just taking a still picture try to get as wide of an angle as you can so I that you have hundred of you them. have you have trees rocks things that you can compare exactly. size to that you can exactly. go back you can measure but right. if you've if you've got just a zoomed in picture you can't tell the surroundings so how are you going to find the exact spot right and and that's why I provide those forensic yeah. sticky scales exactly because you're gonna do you're gonna Dust it like a butterfly's wings mm. touching, you know, the yeah. butterfly kiss. That's how I try to explain it. That's your touch with your carbon, which is all included in these yeah. kits. But we're only going to go into the cap. We want the minimal yeah. we can get. And we're going to kiss that print in layers. Little patient, tons of patience in anything we're doing. Yeah. After you see your your visual, also a black light will help you mm. to pick up prints and sure. other biological fluids. Like Any specific wavelength? Not just like a black light from like... No, uh, Amazon has quite a few that okay. are meant to pick up... Biological material. Biological material. I've got the really super big, powerful one, and I think I paid 50 bucks for it. Yeah. But you can buy $8 ones, okay. too, and they work fine. Yeah. Those are going to be a little more helpful for other biological things, but they yes. do help a little bit yeah. in your your prints. But either way, if you think it might be, go ahead and cast it. Yeah. Go ahead and take it. That's it. Because that's practice. Well, yeah. Right? So we're going to take our laminate, pull the white off the back, lay it just like you're applying a sticker to your windshield or smooth it down. Then we're going to pull it back off. And put it back on that white piece of paper. Then we're going to take those strips of forensic tape off and put those on the print. So now you have the print and your scale, everything that you can send off with any DNA you possibly find, hair, eDNA. Where would you recommend people, because obviously not 23andMe, where would you recommend people send their DNA Well, for analysis? I mean, of course, it's, this is the question of the year, right? Sure. Because it's money. It is. It's money. It is. I mean, at a a minimum, at a cheap lab, you're looking $5 to $1,000. to $1,000 for a sample. $5,000. Yeah, I mean, that's cursory. $5,000. Cursory stuff. Yeah. So So I've looked into it a bit previous years. I kind of gave up on it. Uh, But first of all, you're going to collect at least four samples 
of DNA. I provide you with four swabs. Mm. You're going to coat all of them so that you can send them out to wherever you need to and keep them for yourself. Yes. I would, as far as DNA labs, I... The private labs, a lot of them are government-controlled in a sense of they want to speak to their panel of people before they accept anything you have, plus your money. Um, Colleges, same thing. And this is primarily wildlife DNA labs I'm talking about Mm. because... That's pennies on the dollar compared to human human. DNA lab. Yeah. And we're speaking of things that live in the woods, so why not stick with that? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, because once again, it's pretty easy to tell if it's human. Yeah. However, what you're trying to do is exclude every piece of wildlife that you can possibly exclude from the equation. Right. Yeah, I mean, they can tell now. Yeah. You don't have to worry about cross-contamination anymore. You know, those kids, when I talk to these fine people, I make those kids as sterile and overdone as possible because people are in fear that they're going to do something wrong yeah. or they're going to contaminate yeah, Not a forensic scientist. Yeah, that's okay. But nowadays, they know... Human is human, and there's no cross-contamination yeah. in that sense anymore yeah. because we have so many genomes, once mm-hmm. again. And so, but still, overdoing it is fine. You know, more well, precautions It's better to have better. more data than less data, especially, especially as things progress technologically, things like that. You may be gathering data that may not be able to be even scientifically properly examined for a good three, four years. Exactly. You know, and, and with that in mind, especially with... Uh, I live in Austin. We have had a huge case over the last five, six years of DNA evidence for crimes, specifically sexual crimes, going bye-bye. Oh, yeah. Um, they had a huge That's issue with their cold. They had a huge, huge issue with their storage condition, things like that. And all of this DNA evidence was viably corrupted. Yes. Um, how does somebody go about storing this evidence until the point that they can get it examined. Well, even, cool, even dry the, places are the best. Yeah. So, like the swabs I provide. No light, preferably. Uh, yeah, you don't want it in the sun. Yeah. You don't want it in the heat. Um, you do not want it. So, if you're collecting, let's say, wet specimens like blood mm. or saliva, you want to set it out, and let it dry. And these are dry transportation swabs. So they will they have a substance in there, a stabilizer, to keep them yeah. from growing mold or anything that's going to degrade, degrade yeah. or ruin the the sample. This once again is why we collect more than one. Let's collect as many as we can. If you want to go yeah. buy more sterile swabs, do it, you know. But um personally, if I collected some DNA I would send it to Dr. Meldrum, Cliff Barackman. I keep one for myself. Probably send one to my own doctor who knows what I do. He would help me. Yeah. You know, sending it out to as many people as you could, um, but cool and dry. You know, some people say freezer. Some pe- I, I, I think 
if you just keep it from degrading and collecting mold and mold and moisture. Yeah, because if you're trying to freeze it, you got to have a whole different process, a- Jack. I mean, feel free to check out the fish in your freezer. If it's got crystals on it, you probably right. don't want to keep your sample there because you, you will go. be corrupting it. Right. So as many samples as you can get, sending out to as many people you trust, and try. You know, I mean, I'm not the all end all. Google yeah. it. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I said, I'm not yeah, super qualified. how you learned a lot of it, I'm sure. That's how I learned most of it. Yeah. I just started Googling and calling people and talking to people in the fields that yeah. knew what they were talking about. You know, the coolest thing is at these events, what I do is kind of boring to people. I think it's super fun. From the full room in there, I would beg to differ. Well, they were, it was the first one of the day, so it's always full. But um, they want stories and things, and that's great and wonderful. But I always get that one biologist or law enforcement officer or doctor yeah. is hiding in the corner who's had an encounter and comes over and says, Hey, give me a call. I loved what you had to say. I want to help if I can. That's a success for me. Yeah, absolutely. Because... Even though I would love to reach the Bigfoot community, per se, I'm not here to change minds. Yeah. I'm here to set a standard for incoming new people and the youth of tomorrow. Young kids are my best audience, and they think differently than we do. Yes. Yes. They ask the best questions. Oh, they'll challenge you. They'll cha- and they have, awesome. They got no problem challenging what you just had to say. It, but <laughs> they give me better ideas. Oh, absolutely. Those are the people I'm really, I'm focused on everybody. Anybody that, sure. you know. And um, citizen science is, is where it's at. And that was all made of light to me um, a couple years ago when I opened the conference, as I always do. And Dr. Meldrum was the last speaker of the day. And uh, he says, first of all, we need to give recognition to Shelley Covington, Montana. Mm. Because if you want to know what citizen science is, she's doing it. And I was absolutely floored. Yeah. I've always thought if I could and just get one scientist's attention, I might be doing it. it correctly. Yeah. Or kind of. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it, it's become a trend now that I've been seeing where even colleges and wildlife departments are literally reaching out to their neighborhood squatchers, things like that, because you're out in places that they aren't studying. You're out in places where they don't have money to study, but you have trail cams. Yeah. So they've actively been they've actively been outsourcing this stuff to Sasquatch groups because you're gathering invaluable data, Mm -hmm. whether it's a Sasquatch or not. Wildlife wise, you are out there gathering invaluable data that they Mm -hmm. do not have the time or money or manpower to gather. So exactly what citizen science science is is so so utterly important. They use us, and we're happy to be used. Yes. That, that is, is how the proper cooperation the way it should be. Well, and this is how I got my certification as a wildlife mm. tracker. I went in, I had always done a little tracking, per se, identifying tracks. Sure. But I looked into citizen science, I googled citizen mm. science, and a group called sitsci.org pops up. 
and they have the certification called Cyber Tracker cool associated with them. So I go uh. in and I read all about that. This is a program that was created by a gentleman who who realized and recognized that wildlife tracking was a dying art and a dying science because it's probably one of the first sciences. It probably the first. The science. first because you know you had to find food, man. Right, and we and needed regularly. to follow predators who were killing their prey, yep. and we would scavenge. Yeah. Well, how do we follow them and figure out where they're going? We have to learn their behaviors and morphology and tracking them. Yeah. So, their associate is called Cyber Tracker, mm. and what this program is is for anybody because this gentleman went over to Africa. And learned from the last real trackers who live that way, who provide their food mm. that way. They can't read and write. But we need to learn for them to keep yeah. this alive, but to help with poaching. Yep. Yeah. So he learns from them for years and years, but he realizes he can't help them with the poaching issue if they can't read and write in the sense of recording data. So they create this cyber unit where they just use icons oh. that these people can use for their poaching issues cool. and conservation and counting, yeah, yeah. you know, species and, and numbers. Because we know in, in all regions of the world in conservation, they don't go and count how many cougars are in the area. They count the track. Yeah. And they learn the tracks of individuals. Mm -hmm. That's how we get numbers. Yeah. So they brought the program back to the United States and implemented it all over the world. Because Groovy. you can be a fifth grader. You don't have to read or write. Yeah. But you can help with I've conservation. Got, and I learned basic that. tracks when I was about seven, eight years old. When okay. I was old enough to tote a shotgun with my grandfather. Right. I learned how to... How to identify a bunny track and and right. a deer and things like that. Sure. So I was really interested because this is citizen science. This yeah. is going to help me once again with that. Go back Absolutely. to eliminating yeah. all species. Yeah. Bigfoot last. So I go and I, I, I get really in depth with this. And I want to find a certification class Too for cool. myself to... So I find one in Austin, Texas. I sign up for it. Awesome. The people tell me we're only taking 10 people a year to certify. You will fail. And I was like, what? And they said, this program is not, we don't teach you about tracking. You have to come and show us you know about tracking. tracking. All wildlife biologists, all game wardens fail the first time. You will fail. And I said, no, no I won't. No, I better won't. <laughs> so I get on the internet and I search down a certified cyber specialist of North America and Africa. And he works with me for nine months in wow. tents. I go to take my certification. Everybody there had just been through a on-site wildlife school for nine months with, yeah. a, with a certified tracker. I'm the one that's going <laughs> to 
fail. fail. <laughs> and it was the hardest thing I ever did. It was two days wow. in the field. They didn't know what they were going to find, but they would do like anything from insects yep. all the way up to big animals, wow. birds, all of this. You know, I, I, the hardest thing I had to do was identify snail poop. You Ooh. know, um, wow. walking stick tracks. Yep. All those things. I mean, remember my my mentor says, Shelly, you need to learn about rodent skulls because if they find an owl pellet, they're going to break it open and ask you to identify the rodent in the pellet because certain owls yes. eat certain rodents. Absolutely. Those are all important yeah. things. Anyway, second day, I get a level two. Nice. So... Citizen science are things that people already say they do. Oh, I'm a tracker. I'm a hunter. Yeah. Go get certified. Because the guy that gave me my test is the head of the endangered species biologist for the state of Texas. Wow. And he's a specialist. And he promotes this program for everybody. Too cool. So I encourage citizen science so much because it's, it's fun you are you are actually adding to things you care about because yeah. I know people that love Bigfoot love all wildlife, yeah. and you're going to learn so much by opening that mind, yep. getting into those details, practice, 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 yep. and um, yeah. So I could talk forever and ever. <laughs> well, Sorry. Before we do, let everybody know where they can go to keep up with the latest from Shelley Covington, Montana, where they can go to purchase. Test kits, all that kind of good stuff. Okay. Oh, honestly, I don't put a lot online anymore, but I will tell you if you contact me through my Facebook page, which is simply Shelly Covington, Montana, mm-hmm. Messenger, I can usually get back with people. I mean, that's my biggest social media okay. page. Um, you can also contact me through Instagram. Uh, I think it's CyberChick. Crypto chick. Okay. Yeah. But Facebook's the easiest. All right. And if I don't get back with people immediately, it's because I'm in the field or... Sure. I'm, but I will get to you. Well. Um, contact me if you want a kit. I encourage people, if they can't be at one of these uh, places and buy one, I can surely help you put one together if you'd like, or you can purchase them from me for $65. Awesome. So. Well, thank you so much for your time sure. on this very busy Texas Bigfoot Festival. While you are online, finding Shelly coming to Montana and following her and keeping track of everything that she is doing out in the field tracking, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. That is where you can find all the episodes. That's where you can find our experiencer form, uh, where you can upload your own evidence. Uh, right after this commercial break, we will be coming back with more coverage of the Texas Bigfoot conference here in jefferson texas the bigfoot capital of texas right after this folks sorry if i got off track no no you're good the the one thing the one thing i do with my
with the rising attention to the health benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, including CBD. True Hemp Science has become one of the premier providers of full-spectrum CBD and CBD-related products. Using a proprietary spigeric process, True Hemp Science extracts maximum benefit from the whole hemp plant. Buds, leaves, stems, seeds, even roots. Every part of the plant is used and then reused to formulate a rich, complex profile of CBD, CBD derivatives, and terpenes guaranteed to provide the relief and benefits you need daily. Visit TrueHemScience.com to experience the best CBD oils, edibles, and topicals on the market today. And use code CURIOUS7 to save 7% off your entire purchase of $50 or more and get two 25-milligram CBD cookies or brownies free. That website again is TrueHemScience.com and the code is CURIOUS7. Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out of this world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store. Have you considered starting a podcast, looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, Podcast Cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry. Specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals in fields ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution, monetization, and even social media strategies, Podcast Cadet tailors their services to the specific needs of you and your podcast. Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience? 
Sign up for your podcast cadet audit today and let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to whole new levels. From consultational workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related on the Internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for your consultation or training and use code CURIOUS20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website, again, is podcastcadet.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our continuing coverage of the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in Jefferson, Texas, the Bigfoot capital of Texas. We have with us researcher and author Adam Davies. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm very good. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed your, I guess it was a a kind of a loose presentation Mm -hmm. talk last night about how you go about researching, about some of your research adventures. It was more than some harrowing tales that you had, uh, especially about the tigers and all that kind of stuff. How did you get into the world of researching cryptozoology to begin with? Well, it was a gradual progression. So um, in synopsis, I'll try and be as brief as I can. Sure. I, I had a sister that died of neuroblastoma, which is a form of cancer, mm. uh, when she was very young. And that taught me, you never know when you're going to go. And when I was older, slightly older, I was only eight or nine years old, I got hit by a motorbike that was driving illegally on a sidewalk. Oh, wow. Uh, They told me I'd never walk again. And I was determined to walk again. So after a year or so, I became my city swim champion. So I knew I had lots of determination. I'd always loved to go outdoors and do research. And I was interested in the adventure aspect, the phenomena of unexplored creatures. So I did survival courses, things like that. So it was a gradual progression, got to know my local woods and then explored from there. So Mm. it's always been a childhood dream shaped by some rather unpleasant experiences when I was a kid, which moved move me towards those and doing what I enjoy. Okay, yeah, and it's beautiful that you were moved in that way to realize that if you wanted to do something you enjoyed, that you needed to hop on train and get moving with that. So many people, I think, are discouraged from doing such things. How, was, how did your parents feel about that? <laughs> well, <laughs> I remember some, somebody talking about uh, me once saying, uh, you, I mean, you've got my first book there. Somebody there saying, oh, I really enjoyed his first book. I hope he survives long enough to write another one. <laughs> and my mother was like, you know, you see, you see you what see? that man said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I didn't buy you a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, now I've written three expedition books and two novels. I am. I mean, I'm not. I know I've I've dance with death quite a lot but i'm still here so it's been all right i mean you were bit by a black mamba well i wasn't bitten by it i was i was i was i was chased by one in kenya um yeah i've I've had some serious encounters with animals yeah (laughs) obviously tigers in the and uh yeah sumatra which you mentioned because you heard me talking last night absolutely big poisonous spider attacked me in mongolia there's a few an elephant in kenya as well there's a few things that's had a go at me um but um i've never I've never been uh, savaged by anything other okay. than people. <laughs> All right. Well, and with that in mind, I guess one thing that we regularly speak to Bigfoot researchers about is work out in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great to do all your research online, things like that. But when you go out in the field and you start gathering data... Uh, what is the best point to start for the average person? I mean, of course, someone uh, such as yourself working with 
channels, Discovery Channel, History Channel. You have access to a lot of things that the average person out in the field may not necessarily have access to. Well, it's a good question, but not not really in the first instance. So most of my expeditions were self-financed. Okay. I mean, things like the Congo, I had, there's no film company with me. I saved up to do it on my own time and my own money. And nearly everything I've done has been on my own time and my own money. Uh, when I do do a film, of course, they pay for it, and that's sure. great. But but uh, it was years before they got involved, and most again, now, most of the stuff uh, I do is... is what I pay for because I passionately believe in it and I enjoy it. I think the best advice I can give somebody... I mean, I do expeditions all over the world, but I do have an interest in Bigfoot. So I think the best advice I can give to somebody who is starting out is to really learn their local woods, learn the flora and fauna, do the background research, not everything, you know, and don't be... um, you know, it's not like the TV in the sense that everything is a pop and a crack and a Bigfoot, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, most of the stuff I do has involved an element of suffering and it's hard field work. And there's very little um, substantive evidence that you find over years of research. Yeah. Um, well, so there we you are. You really do have to be willing to accept that as yeah. well because yeah. it, um, people forget the fact that uh, you might see an article about a scientist and their discovery. They spent 10 years in that lab exactly. before that one single discovery exactly. happened. Yeah. Um, trying to crack that nut, mm-hmm. spending time for it. And even for someone of, of your ilk and experience uh, and vast experience, putting out movies, books, things like that, um, to come out and say, don't, don't be upset if you come back from like research trip number 25 and you still have nothing. Well, research tip 225 yeah. and have nothing. Because yeah. that's more plausible, frankly. Sure. If you're always going out in the woods and seeing and finding something, that's inherently suspicious. Yeah. You know, uh, y- y- and you need to Not have quite patience. anomalous. Yeah. It, it, you need to have patience. You need to do this research. You know, and, and also the other thing I'd say is the standard of evidence for something yeah. like a Bigfoot has to be extremely high. You know, it, Extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. You have yeah. to have a very high standard, and people need to know that. I mean, science would not be against you. If you had evidence, sure. then, then, then it would be objectively analysed. But, you know, if you produce a blurry picture and expect the world to, to bow down to, to you... To stop. Yeah, yeah. Th- then, then um, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're getting angry emails from primatologists and you have nothing but a blurry picture uh, that might be why <laughs> well they probably um, just wouldn't bother looking uh, at it well yeah <laughs> yeah and it, you know you really do have to you have to get rid of that confirmation bias within your own realm and be yeah. willing to get rid of that uh and be willing to say what i've heard is just something that i've heard um we were just having a conversation with shelly covington montana a minute ago about um not leading somebody when you're in the field. Not a not looking at footage, not not going mm-hmm. through and listening to wood knock recordings like while you're in the field and you're in the middle of a passionate mm. expedition, you could you could definitely be blinding yourself oh, yeah. by your mission at hand instead of the evidence at hand. Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean I, I worked for the British government um, doing cross examination. So 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 I have postgrad in law. And in some way the the, the application of science and the application of law diverges but in some mm. ways that it's it, it, there's a similarity and the similarity is when you have evidence that needs to be objectively analyzed yeah. and you're not always object, ob- objectively analyzing in the field you have you can have this uh, yeah. cognitive dissonance you, oh, can, absolutely. You, you can have you can have all that you know so it's good i mean but you know i've been always quite broad about it in the sense that you know 
If I find something tangible, which is very rare, I'll hand that over to credible scientists to analyze that. Yeah. And that's my job done. I'm not a scientist. Absolutely. I am what I am, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's just it. You have to be willing to see yourself as an evidence gatherer. Mm-hmm. That's that. Yeah. And, you know, but once again, we were just having this conversation about the fact of science itself has started turning to citizen scientists. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, Bob. As citizen scientists that mm. found that. We, we regularly discover astronomic bodies from people yeah. in their backyard. So I don't agree. discount the fact that you are just somebody with a game camera and an audio recorder. Mm-hmm. You could literally be gathering data for your university down the road just on wildlife stuff that they, can, they don't have the time, manpower, or money to go mm-hmm. gather. Yeah. So No, like, exactly. And, and your I, data I, is still a point of data added to a set. You know, or so data. Completely, providing right. you know, you're not precious about that data. And if somebody yeah. comes along and says, well, I don't think it's credible, I don't believe in it, or, or you know, it's not, it's, it's a, I don't know, a coyote, you don't get all upset about it. it they're analyzing the data. They're not sure. analyzing your personality. Well, well yeah, yeah. And, and once again, that, that comes in treating evidence as just that. Is, mm-hmm. It is a point of datum in a set, nothing more. You have to be dispassionate, even mm-hmm. though you spent time, money, going out and gathering that. Um, I mean, there's more than one court case that doesn't happen because they spent the time and money to gather the data, and it just doesn't come together. Exactly. You know, so you you really have to do, A, your own due diligence, Mm -hmm. um, and B, be willing to be that proper parent Mm -hmm. and let it have the wings to fly. Don't, Mm -hmm. Don't hold on to it, you know. Let it go to the researchers. Let it go to the other people, and whatever comes back is what comes back. Exactly, yeah. No, I agree. Now, when when you're out, and especially out, say, on the side of a mountain in Nepal with a with someone like Josh Gates, um, how, how do you go about gathering that data in the field? Because, of course, typically you would have a camera crew with you, uh, that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> how do you go about typically gathering data like footprints, stuff like that, when you were out well, in the field? It, 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 it's different between when you've got a camera crew with you when mm. you haven't got a camera crew with you. When you've got a camera crew with you, uh, there's a, it's easy, really, because there's a lot of people there. Uh, when, when I found the Yeti print with Josh Gates, um, I basically said we, we, there was a farmer who'd had a recent sighting, and I said, you know, for the, I want to do a trekking by a river where the, you know, near the area where I... I speculated it might be foraging for food mm. if there was one around. And I said, you know, I don't want, um, I don't want a massive entourage. Yeah, for this. fifteen people tracing I don't around. Want that. Yeah, I just we just had me and Tule and who was a tracker and Josh and you know and I found that print there, a possible print. Um, and, and you know, and any data is the the, the 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 crew will bag and tag, yeah. Sure. And they'll send it off if we find stuff. So that's yeah. easy. Um, when I'm finding data myself, obviously I have specimen bags and I have DNA kits, and I'll send it off. Um, and and basically, you make sure you gather the data the best you can. The big thing used to be uh, contamination. Uh, mm. with DNA stuff yeah. but now as I'm sure you're aware the science is getting better and they can actually differentiate that co- that contamination yeah. a lot more than they used to be able to do so and that used to be quite frustrating because the, the, it was extremely difficult but oh, now it's sure. a bit I it, mean, it's to, easy to try and gather to try and gather DNA evidence off of a tree 
or something like that out in the woods, that could be hard. You know, well, much less for a scientist, not even a, a citizen scientist or very the average hard. bear. I remember there was one time with the Orang Pendek and... Uh, we were going in two prongs in an area where um, it was regularly seen and where I'd got prints before. And uh, we heard a rustling sound, and two of the teams actually saw it. Um, they were coming in from the right and the left. We were trying to pincer it off, and two saw it. And I was coming in from the left, unfortunately, rather than the right. That's my mm. unfortunate look there. But we, it, it had been chewing on rattan, and I knew it had been chewing on rattan. A lot of the eyewitnesses... Um, uh, had talked about it chewing on rattan and I bagged and tagged the um, the rattan and sent it off to Todd Dissertels and he couldn't extract the DNA with the saliva samples which was you know infuriating at the time that was the science then I think yeah. now they probably could have done because the technology's moved on well well, yeah absolutely and it, the fact of <laughs> saving that evidence for later you know uh, there, there like you said there are numerous techniques now where you could go and pick up evidence off of something that five six years ago well we can't get surface evidence so let it go into the bin it goes you know um as opposed to now where it's well let's bag it and retag it and we can examine it whenever new technologies come along that kind of stuff uh, for you yourself how do you go about archiving that um, well, do you archive? I, I, I send it off to the scientists, yeah? yeah, and that's my job done. In terms of archiving, it's more of a I write the information out and do it that way. So, yeah, yeah. So photographs, yeah, photographs, kind of etc. I mean, once once I've handed over the samples, that's the end of my job there. And so my my next work is obviously writing about the things and doing it that way. Yeah, and it, with that being said, how do you move from field work? to, I guess, expressing the field work to people? Because they, it, it can be, A, it can be a little dry sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not every day that you have a tiger stalking you, you know, unfortunately. Um, but how do you go about bringing the audience into that experience? Well, it's, it's a different approach. I mean, I, I think, you know, with my books, what I wanted to do really was write an account mm. of, of, of the experiences that I've had. And so I wrote contemporaneous notes at the time. So contemporaneous, I'll say that again. Yeah. Notes at the time um, so that I could make sure that they were there. If there's anything tangible and scientific, I'll leave any of those to express. But I did write a note, New, New Primate Species in Sumatra for Edge Science magazine, where I wrote a little note mm. on that. Uh, Jeff Meldrum wrote a note about our experiences with the Yeren, Dr. Jeff Meldrum. So he wrote that, and you know, and... Um, with the with the sell uh, your serpent, and that was the Marine Research Institute in Bergen. So they write that they're they're the scientists. I document my accounts and things like that in my books, and that's basically how I go about it. I mean, it's not. It, it, I think that the best way to get good research ultimately is a scientific paper. But as I say, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. So sure. for me, the best way to document my experiences is to write them in books rather than put some crap on facebook you know yeah yeah it's well it's also really hard to tag from a mountaintop in nepal um. <laughs> <laughs> almost anything's possible these yeah, days. Yeah. i'll tell you when i when i um when i first went to sumatra uh, gosh how, i don't know how long i've been in there eight times so it must be like 20 years ago or something i remember i used to have to write letters and then it was a phone call mm. and it was like you know, I'd phone up and then I'd ask for my chief guide, Sahar, and then uh, somebody had phoned back 
he phoned back an hour later. I said, I'll call him on. Then the next time, I remember coming out of the jungle and we were um, exhausted. Some of our clothes were ripped and there was one TV in the village which Sahar had bought and everyone sat there watching SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> it was the only and thing you could catch. Yeah. And now, <laughs> and now, you know, some of Sahar's kids are fa- and their adults now are Facebooking live from the jungle, you know? Wow. So, wow. you know, technology's changed. Yeah. I feel like I'm black and white or something. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you mentioned writing letters, things like that. How do how does one, especially outside of the bounds of the woods in their backyard, things like that, how do you start to mount an expedition? What What is your first steps? Well, it, uh, it, it, it has to be three things. Uh, first of all, uh, do the um, historical account... Do, are there some historical pedigree to the accounts? Mm. Do they go back away? Uh, so my first degree was in history before I did a postgrad in, in law. So I look at that okay. and I analyse that. Um, I, you know, I'm less interested personally in Chupacabara because I can't see the historical pedigree. There's an example. Yeah, it's it's maybe 20 years of yeah, story. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But, but with things like the Yaren in China, it goes back thousands of years. Yeah. yeah? So you see what I mean. Second thing is, uh, can the ecosystem support it? Mm. Um you know, is there a viable ecosystem that can support a population, a viable population of those creatures? And thirdly, how much do I want to do it because I'm financing it myself? Yeah. And then it's a lot of preparation. So, for example, the Mandi Barung in India, which I touched on very briefly last mm. night, that's a year minimum of research, backwards and forwards, wow. conversations, emails, and then permits to get into yeah, the before place. Before you the even get over there with equipment, gear, yeah, and everything. So it's a lot of wow. work, you know, a lot of work. Yeah. And I. I uh, but, you know, it's been worth it. I've had a wonderful well, time. And, and that's something really important to bring up. Even if you're talking about your local forest, things like that, if you're going into a state forest, anything, you, you need to make sure what your local laws are. You need to yeah. make sure that you have permits in place. Hey, if you're supposed to have a permit for a four-wheeler or to go camping or whatever, uh, you need to make sure that you have all that in, in Ready, pocket yeah. before you just hop out there with a backpack full of gear. Exactly, yeah. You, you need to make, make... I mean, it's worth it. I mean, I mean, it's essential in some third world countries as well because you will get yourself arrested if you're not oh, on top oh, of it. Oh, yeah, especially parts of Africa, things like that. Like beyond, uh, like you were saying last night, you had to have active conversations with warlords in oh, the yeah, Congo I did. To, yeah, yeah. to pass over their property to go research yeah. next to a river. And it really doesn't yeah. matter what the, the government says in that instance. No. And if they're warlords, yeah, you decide could, you're not going, yeah, you're not but, going. But I've, but I've got this piece of paper, and it's got a seal on it. Yeah. I, I can't come through. Whatever. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But I got a visa. <laughs> I got visas for my crew and everything. Are yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah. Now, a, a while ago, you were bringing up during your expedition with Josh Gates, how you asked the crew to step back. Um, but number one, was was that for, I guess, to not contaminate a scene? Or to also, because there had been sightings in the area, to not maybe spook something that was there? Both. Okay. Yeah, so both. I mean, you know, if we're moving relatively quietly, we might see something. If there's 20 people with us, we're not going to. And also, um, you know, if people are trudging around and they're not used to tracking animals, they could easily disturb something because quite innocently they don't don't know what they're looking at. Yeah. So so, so it's both of those things. Well, and what are some of the things that you should be looking at when tracking, especially going through woods, things like that? 
Well, obviously, you're looking for recent signage, if possible, so things like breaks uh, in the wood, anything anomalous, flattened, uh, flattened grass and plants, things like that. You're looking, at, you're looking on the ground for prints um, and making sure you know the difference between, uh, say, a, a dog and, uh, I don't know, a bear, yeah? Sure. So, so, so looking at those, but also look up. Um, because I theorize, you know, I've seen gorillas in the wild and orangs. And with Bigfoot, you know, I, I, I theorize that they may well be in the trees to mm. a large extent. So often sure. we're looking on the floor or we look horizontally because that's how human beings are. But look up as well. You never know. Interesting. Interesting. Now, have you ever yourself had a Bigfoot experience? I've never seen a Bigfoot. And because I've never seen a Bigfoot and had a clear sighting, I cannot be certain I have experienced Bigfoot activity. I have, of course, heard many, many wood knocks and some and not really very clear uh, howls. Uh, uh, there was one in Vancouver Island, I think, which was, which was very impressive. But I didn't see it do it. Mm. And I think, you know, you need to be aware that the, you know, unless you, I mean, people will say, well, you know, I put some food out for a, a, a big, and some animal creature, it must be a Bigfoot that took it. Well, did you actually see that happen? Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm cautious because I can say, well, you know, I've had these experiences, but unless I physically observe it, and it's a, it's a really good sighting, I can't say for sure that is was. That is probably one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard a researcher say on my show. Oh, Honestly, uh, because you're saying that, yes, I've had experiences. I've had experiences that are anomalous. Am I going to say that I met a Bigfoot out in the woods or that I heard a Bigfoot? No, not offhand, because I can't prove that what I heard or what I saw was a Bigfoot. Yeah, and I think it's really important. Yeah, well, it's, it's massively important because if... If you aren't willing to do that, and especially if you aren't willing to do that with yourself and your own experiences, it can be hard to remove that from other people's experiences. And like you were saying earlier, the experience is where it starts. You're not, you're not going into an area where experiences have not been happening for more than decades, if not over a century, mm. um, and which means, A, you give a lot of credence to actual experience. Mm. You give a lot of credence to local indigenous people, the fact that they live off the land, they know the land, mm-hmm. um, they know when something is amiss with their livestock, hmm. you know, things like that. Oh, definitely. I've spent a lot of time working with indigenous people and, uh, you know, and in, uh, in North America, uh, uh, First Nation, mm. Native American, depending whether it's Canada and the U.S. So I've spent a lot of time because I've always been interested in those local legends. And I've always, in, I've always attached some gravitas to them, how they worked with tribal people. Obviously, yeah. they're, they're worthy of analysis. I'm not saying you should believe every local legend, but I, I do think that when you've heard them and they handed down for centuries, exactly. there's something worth exploring. When you've exploring. got an unbroken oral tradition yeah. for three, four hundred years... It's a little hard to get rid of that. You should pay attention. You, know, you to should it. really pay attention, especially when you have tribes in the Northwest talking, literally talking about trade mm. with with Sasquatch. Yes, literally, and they, do. It, they they treat them as another tribe on the other side of the trees. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that that's important. So I think they're they are worthy of analysis, and you should you should look at them. And I have done while I've been here in relation yeah. to Bigfoot, and I'm going to talk about that as well. Today. I cannot wait to hear it. Before we let you go, what what was your most harrowing experience out in the field? Because of course everybody thinks it's milk and honey. You're going to go out. You're gonna get. You're gonna go out. You're gonna catch wood knocks your first night, and next thing you know, 
20,000 hits on YouTube in a day, and they're coming to you for monetization, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, but what, what was your most harrowing experience out in the field? Because it's not all sunshine and lollipops when you get out there, folks. It's not that it's the most harrowing experience. It's the one that I remember most. So, so you know, I've been shot at. You know I have. You heard oh. me talk. Um, but the one I'll always remember, and the one is, is, is you know, I, I, and I mentioned it a little bit last night. It was when... I was, I'd come out of the Congo mm. and uh, of, of the jungle. I was in Infondo, the border town, and I was exhausted. I'd already got Jardia and had my clothes oh. ripped. And I, I felt sick. And uh, I was about to, to go back, and there was a guy there, a lovely man, a, a Dr. Joe Harvey, and he worked in the hospital there. I think there's 100,000 100, people per uh, doctor there. He could have made a lot of money working in America, but he's a greater man than I, and he chose to do that out of the goodness of his own heart. And I worked in the hospital just for a day with him, and there was no anaesthetic. It was horrendous. Uh, I was holding down a woman, helping him to do some surgery, and the guy on the other side of me had leprosy, and half his face had collapsed. That's the conditions this guy's working in. Wow. And he asked me to send a package back to um, the U.S., And as because we're, we're right on the edge of the Civil War. And we, you know... I, I will never forget that. In my head, every time I hear Silent Night, because we were playing a little, he had a little organ, and he's playing mm. Silent Night, and you hear, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is come. <laughs> and I got this, I got this old Anatov wow. out, and I just saw him, you know, his little thing, thing as I got out, and I thought, and I was going back to uh, Britain for Christmas, and I thought, there's that man staying there. There's a truly good man, yeah? I try my best, but I'm not that man. And so I think uh, that will always be um, the single thing that sticks in my head most. Wow. And, and what a changing experience for you. What a... Uh, wow. That's incredible. I can't even express that. I've been in a lot of situations, but to be in something like that and to see somebody working in that capacity... Amazing. I want to thank you very much for your time today, oh, My Adam. pleasure. I enjoyed uh, it. Before we let you go, please do tell the audience out there where they can go to keep track of the latest work from Adam Davies. Uh, if you can tell us when your next uh, big splash bomb from the media is coming out, please do. I know frequently they don't tell you till just before it so just before no I don't know I don't know when my next big splash bomb is for exactly that reason it's yeah. when the network tells me they can always find me on adamdavisexplorer.com of all mysteries or they can see my books on Amazon and I have a public Facebook page so people can always follow me it's Davis D-A-V-I-E-S alright well thank you once again for your time while you are online checking out everything from Adam Davis make sure to stop on by Curious Realm that is where you can find all the episodes that's where you can find the Knowledge Vault with all of our declassified government documents, including the document from the FBI when they examined Bigfoot yeah. hair. Things like that. Really interesting yeah, story there. Uh, stop on by and check that out, folks. We will be back with more coverage from the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in Jefferson, Texas, right after this. All right. We good? Thank you. Thank you so much.
With the rise in attention to the health benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, including CBD, True Hemp Science has become one of the premier providers of full-spectrum CBD and CBD-related products. Using a proprietary spigeric process, True Hemp Science extracts maximum benefit from the whole hemp plant. Buds, leaves, stems, seeds, even roots. Every part of the plant is used and then reused to formulate a rich, complex profile of CBD, CBD derivatives, and terpenes guaranteed to provide the relief and benefits you need daily. Visit TrueHemScience.com to experience the best CBD oils, edibles, and topicals on the market today. And use code CURIOUS7 to save 7% off your entire purchase of $50 or more and get two 25-milligram CBD cookies or brownies free. That website again is TrueHemScience.com and the code is CURIOUS7. Have you considered starting a podcast, looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, Podcast Cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry. Specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals in fields ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution, monetization, and even social media strategies, Podcast Cadet tailors their services to the specific needs of you and your podcast. Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience? Sign up for your Podcast Cadet audit today. And let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to whole new levels. From consultation workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related on the Internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for your consultation or training and use code CURIOUS20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website again is podcastcadet.com. Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. 
Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out-of-this-world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our continuing coverage of the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in Jefferson, Texas. We are so happy to welcome artist Sybilla Irwin. Uh, You were speaking earlier today at the conference about your experience as an artist. Uh, Tell the audience uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do. So, um, I work with people who have had impossible visitations and impossible encounters who have kind of changed the fabric of their reality. So I work to recreate what it is that they saw. Okay. Because an image kind of takes the place of thousands of words. You know, you can try to describe and describe and paint a picture for people, but I actually do create that image for people. Interesting. So, you know, the, some of these images are so burned into the people's minds. Yeah. Even if it's 30 or 40 years, it's oh, still absolutely. crystal clear. Yes. So they they kind of impart that information. I've learned over time how to ask the right questions so that I can build that image in my mind. And then I put that on, you know, I create it for them and I send it to them. And then we just ping it back and forth. They tell me what's good and what I need to fix until... And we just keep tweaking it until they tell me it's perfect. What led you into specifically this field of artwork? Well, I became an investigator with the BFRO like in 2008. And so I, uh, I mean, I found the BFRO website back in 2000, I mean, like 99. And I was just like voraciously reading reports. I was absolutely Mm. fascinated. But I've always been, I grew up in a house that was haunted. So I've always kind of known there was more to this reality you know, than what we were kind of being told. Sure. So, and then I've always just been fascinated by, sto- you know, stories of strange occurrences and stuff that people were seeing. And then uh, after I became a BFRO investigator, um, I had an investigator from Wisconsin contact me and said, I know you're an artist. Would you be willing to, you know, this woman found this image that looks sort of like what she saw, but, but this part's not right. Could you try fixing it for her? And I said, mm. sure. So I did that. And then they kind of just kept rolling in. And then um, I thought it's kind of it's kind of the perfect marriage of uh, the field work that I love to do. And then also, you know, getting to to do my art skills because I was sure. kind of a wildlife doing wildlife art before then. Okay. Yeah, and, I was going to ask were you were you doing like police sketch work no, or something I, like that? No, or? I wasn't. There's only like one or two places in the United States where you can go to study that kind of forensic stuff. Mm. And I and I I kind of looked into it for a while, but it, like the closest one was in Florida and mm. at the time I was a single parent trying to raise kids, so sure. couldn't do that, but um, I've d- been doing like photorealism wildlife art and then uh, I'm doing portraits too so it's kind of this beautiful marriage of like the two and it and then I discovered that it actually helped people you know, like some that were really uh, really traumatized 
it yeah. kind of it kind of is cathartic for them. And I, I can fully appreciate what you're talking about the fact that these images live in people's minds so viscerally. I, I remember I was probably about four years old, had to have been because we were in a trailer house in Crosby, and we weren't there when I was five. Uh, yeah. So had to have been pre five years old. <laughs> um, I, I distinctly remember seeing. The only way I put it my whole life is the devil. Wow. Um, shadowy figure with horns out by the swing set outside. Oh, that just gave me beckon, chills. Beckoning to me through the window. Oh. Um, <laughs> that literally remember just it gave vividly me to, to this day in my life. I'm 47 now. Um, and you can see it. it just like it was yesterday. I, I see it in my mind's eye right now. I, I can see the thing. Well, if calling you ever to, want me me to outside. Draw it for you. I would love to. Really? I would okay, love awesome. to. Um, would that love and to I've I had a shadow being that was with me for a long time. Um, and they can be. Uh, I, I remember I am a horrible artist, uh, <laughs> but I have a, the best sketch that I could do of my shadow well, I being. I would love to see and, it. And even having that, every once in a while when I run across it, there's almost a sense of relief because there's a face to it. Yeah. Because it's the, I can see it. It's tangible. It's not just something that, yeah, I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't move, and it was at the end of my bed, or it was grabbing me, things like that. Yeah. Um, wow. Seeing it now doesn't have the terror that the moment or the memory had, and wow. it's really dulled the terror of the memory. Yeah. And uh, like Lyle Blackburn was just talking in there about hunters people who've been out for years and years and they take big game and things like that and when when these sasquatch come across their path or into their hunting path they are frozen in fear absolutely absolutely i worked with a former marine that uh you know he says i've been i've been shot at he says i've never been as terrified uh he was camping with his two young sons in oklahoma and the, there was enough moonlight that this thing literally just walked right up, and he could see the silhouette of it. He said, "I had a, you know, I had a pistol right next to me." He says, "I was so terrified I could not move. I was literally frozen in fear." And he says, yeah. "You know, and I've been shot at before." He says, "I've never, I've never experienced fear like that." He wow. said, "As soon as it walked up, he picked up his two boys, he threw them in the truck, they left everything." Wow. He he put his gun and his two boys. And the the tent, wow! And I know for a fact that it was there because when I when we went there to this place where it happened, it was still there. Like the like, man, yeah, it was there. The ice chest was gone though, but everything else was there. Man, yeah, ter- and, but you know, here's a here's a yeah. former marine. Yeah, yeah. There's not battle hardened. Him. Yeah, you know, and, no, and and a police officer. I worked with a police officer too. He'd been shot at, and he didn't even see. Like he didn't even see. He just suddenly he was hunting for pigs out in like his friend's land. He'd been out yeah. there hundreds of times. Um, he said he walked to the back of his truck to relieve himself, and all of a sudden he got hit with a dread and a fear like he's never known in his life. He said, "I I didn't even think I was going to make it back to the door of my truck. I thought I was going to be ripped apart by something." You know, he didn't hear anything or see anything, but the terror that he felt. Yeah. And he got in his truck. He said, I, you know, I, I put that gun in my lap and I got the heck out of there. He said, I, I didn't, I didn't even relax till I was miles away on the highway. 
Wow. And so I met him, and I, we went out to where it was. We found uh, an incredible stick structure that's one of the, my favorite to this day that I've ever seen. And we found uh, little footprints. And so we kind of think that maybe, you know, maybe there was mom, you know, yeah. mom and baby were close. And, you know, they were telling him, you need to get out of here. Yeah. yeah. We were talking a while ago with Adam Davies about... Local culture, things like that, and about stories that have persisted for a long time. And it's interesting that Native American cultures do do not seek this creature out. They yeah. <laughs> there there are some who claim utter communication with them that they are right. literally a, a tribe on the other them. side of the yeah. trees. They, they traded trade with, with them. them. Yeah. Um, things like that. In fact, there's stories of them doing ceremonies. Yeah. Like them coming together. In. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, for some reason, we go out and seek it. Uh, <laughs> and it's strange. And maybe it's that, I guess, manifest destiny part of our Western yeah. European tradition, you know, of go forth and conquer and <laughs> do these things. Um <laughs> Where do you fall on um, people's experiences with Bigfoot around cities? Like, uh, there's been a couple people I know of that have mentioned experiences in the Austin area, Mm -hmm. things like that. And and there's been people that these things have followed them home. Oh, wow. Yeah, like... Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, it kind of... It kind of makes you wonder about whether these are some of these are truly physical, like okay. the flesh and blood variety. Or, sure. Yeah. Or, sure. or if not, because you know, I think they can be anywhere. I mean, there have been people who have looked out the window and they're walking down Main Street, you know, at two yeah. in the morning. Like, yeah. How do you go figure? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I. You know, and people ask me like. Why do you do this? Like, why do you put yourself in a tent and let these things walk up to you? Like, what is it in you? That, yeah. Well, what like is said, it? That, like, that, that makes us seek this out. Is it, it, the, yeah. And it's one of those, is, is it a morbid curiosity? Is it, I, It's like the, like for me, it's the, it's the experience. Okay. Like to have the experience. Sure. And... And there's just something in me that's kind of crazy and sane, I think. Yeah. That it's not like I like to be scared because I don't. But you like to experience. But it, I do, and it's an adventure. And then yeah. you're, you know, you get to be out in nature with some of your best friends. And, you know, most of the time, nothing happens. Yeah. You know, most of the time, you, it's a wood knock or. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a two to five percent situation. Yeah. But then every once in a while, you yeah. know, something really massive happens. And. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely I talk on the show regularly about the fact that I've got some paranormal investigative spirit experience with a couple of groups uh, many, many years ago. And um, I guess it's the same thing. It, it, wasn't, the, it yeah. wasn't necessarily a morbid curiosity. It was more a, a curiosity of wanting to know what's going on. And wanting to experience and, yeah, it yourself. Like, yeah. Because you hear about, 
like you hear about iGlow, and and I mm. I wanted to experience that. Well, I did. I mean, I got to see. Oh it. wow! Yeah, I've got to see it in two thousand eight. Well, explain to the audience what that was like. Uh, was, it, I'd had a thermal encounter the night before in this same tree line. I mean, I, I now a thermal encounter for those that are not aware of what that is. Explain to them what a thermal it, encounter. I is. had a an eight thousand dollar thermal camera. I know. A thermal eye, like XP200. But there's no, this camera has no capacity to record. Yeah. And the recording part uh, didn't come in until like the next day because this was the night before the expedition. So I didn't get to, re- I mean, it would have been the most incredible like thermal encounter anyone's ever seen. I think this thing was just trying to figure out if I could see it. Um, it was just, there was a guy who was, had crawled in his tent early and something started throwing something at his tent. So he, like, alerted me. I had the thermal camera. I turned it on. I walked to the corner of his tent, and I just put the thermal camera up and immediately had a really, you know, decent heat signature. Wow. And which, you know, you're not expecting that. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, okay, uh, I didn't immediately think, oh, that's a Sasquatch. I mean, I was like, okay, so that could be a raccoon. It could be an owl. It could be a whole bunch of things. And so I just held the camera there and waited. Sure. And then... I don't know, maybe two minutes. Time kind of goes really weird when you're, yeah. But yeah. all of a sudden, here comes this thing. You know, it just, it just here comes the head and shoulder. I mean, it, I could see the head perfectly. Wow. It, the thermal hit was so good because it was pretty close. And here comes the head, really slow, like very, very slow, leans out and is just looking at me. And I'm, I, I, I'm like, is this really happening? That, wow. like you get so excited. And then, so you're wondering, okay, what's happening next? And then it just slowly went back in. And nothing else after that? Oh, no. And then it, and then it, it uh, I just kept the camera there. And here it comes out the other side. Same thing. Really, really slow. And then it goes back in. And then I don't see it for a while. And then, you know, the field of vision through the camera is pretty big. Well, the next yeah. thing I know, there was a, there was a, the ground kind of dropped away behind it. Well, it just moved from that tree to the tree next to it and came up behind that tree and started the whole the whole, the whole thing again. Interesting. So it just kind of peekabooing with me. And then finally, like, I kind of snapped my senses and I turned to the group at the campfire and said, guys, I've been watching one like this whole time. And so, uh, so someone got up and came and stood behind me. And then, of course, eventually everybody's standing behind me. And so, like, the Sasquatch at that point was like, oh, I must be busted. Yeah. And then it turned, and I got to see the entire profile as he walked off into the woods. Wow. I mean, and it was like a it was like a professional football player, like, with a – the head was so strangely positioned on its shoulders. Like, it wasn't sitting mm. on top like ours. It was really, like – Yeah. Like a football player with huge pads and everything, and it just silently walked off in the woods. Wow. So the next night – me and uh, Dennis Full, uh, Colorado investigator, are standing in the bed of a pickup, and uh, other parts of the group were just in various places. And Dennis and I were standing there, just kind of wondering if it would come back. And sure enough, and there, you know, there's nobody shining any flashlights. We're not even using headlamps. We're just mm. standing in the dark. Here comes this, you know, white two glowing white eyes and I just I kind of elbowed Dennis and I'm like you're seeing this right and he goes like wow. yep, I'm seeing it just eye glow like self-illuminating eyes and so you know your brain's going how can this be how can a yeah. biological entity have self-glowing eyes but you know there there've been researchers who have actually seen that light cast on the leaves 
in front wow. of wow. the glowing. Yeah. That's that's phenomenal. Um, I've, I've got to look more into that because I've, I've definitely heard about the the eye shine things like that, yeah. and uh, that is that eye is shine remarkable. and eye glow, eye glow, two different, two different things. things. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, like but yeah. amazing. And so, I think that's why you go. You know, you go to hang out with your people that you love. Mm. Because the people that are Sasquatchers, they're just a, we're just kind of a unique breed of people. We love the yeah. outdoors. We love the mystery. We love the adventure, and we love being together and, and the discovery of, you know, even if nothing happens, it's still a fab, fabulous time. Yeah. And it, one, of the, one of the popular discussions that we have in our group on Facebook is, uh, is Bigfoot real and animal or yeah. paranormal? Um, where, which camp do you fall into? I really kind of think they're supernatural. Okay. I mean, I, I do believe that some are definitely flesh and blood, and some of mm. them have been shot and killed, and I've worked with a couple. Um, but I also have experienced so... It's like, where do you draw the line between, like, the paranormal and... You know, I've had so many things. I mean, I have things move in my house when I was living mm. on the habituation site. So is that... Is there a ghost in this house, or is, am I interacting with those guys? You know, so I don't know. I, I believe that they're kind of a supernatural entity that can be physical when they want and non-physical when they don't. Okay, okay. That's where I fall. Yeah, and it, it, like once again, there are a lot of camps in the yes, Sasquatch community. Yes, uh, no, no different than in the UFO UAP community. The paranormal community, demonology community, what have you. So true. Um, and regularly, Jason McClellan and I have the, the conversation of, um, do we believe that Bigfoot is a physical animal out there, cryptid, unknown species? Yes, absolutely. Um, when it comes to the portals and everything else, might that be something else that is living off of our emotional architecture, yeah. you know, what, what we are familiar with, what we are comfortable with, you know, like yeah. it, it sees us and it feels the fact that like, well, they would be okay with this encounter, but not with encountering me. So they use that form instead. Um, even that is a plausible possibility Absolutely. at this point. So. And it kind of makes you wonder if there's other things out there taking the shape of a Sasquatch. Exactly. It's it, not really a Sasquatch. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, a lot of people uh, really, really are in the, in the camp that the paranormal part removes from research. Um, I think the two kind of go hand in hand. You know, there's, there's hard research. There's, you know... DNA, hair, I know, footprint, yeah. everything else. Um, but then there's the anomaly research. Yes. And the anomaly research is where the paranormal comes in. Because right. you, you can't really discount some of that. If you're I discounting know. that, then you're discounting a lot a of lot. modern when anecdotes. you've experienced it yourself. Like yeah. You're, you're, yeah, I've experienced that. So you know what I think is going to happen eventually is I think more... And more people are going to feel comfortable coming forward and telling us more about, like, like they kind of half share some stuff that they're comfortable sharing. Mm. And I'm hope and I'm thinking and hoping that more people are going to be willing to come forward and say, you know, yes, this happened, but let me tell you about this other part that I didn't tell you about before. Yeah. But people are going to feel more comfortable talking about the paranormal aspect that they haven't really felt comfortable 
I mean, people are still kind of warming up to the idea of, I mean, of being able to share their Sasquatch story. That's more mainstream now than it ever has Oh, been. absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, channels on television dedicated to it now. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that we speak about regularly on the show is that overwhelming emotion of shame that seems to come along with these encounters, be it UFOs, UAP, alien abduction, close encounter, what have you, paranormal experiences with the spiritual or otherwise, and and with Sasquatch and other cryptids. uh, There there is a a full understanding and a ridicule and very little gray area in between. Yeah. And, and we need a lot more and it gray. it needs to stop. Like we need mar- a lot more marginalizing gray. Marginalizing people yeah. that have had these experiences needs to stop. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, one of the prime examples I give regularly is we have a great community of listeners of this show and in our online community that are, quote, targeted individuals. For better than 20 years, they have been saying that they are targeted with microwave technology, other electronic means, satellite weaponry. Um, literally the talk of crazy talk for the last 20 years until you start hearing about Havana Syndrome and the Immaculate Concussion and our ambassadors that were hit with such weapons. So so now you're investigating this, but those weapons don't exist. Okay. (laughs) Um, And if they exist to that point now, that means you've been playing with them for 20 or 30 years. If, if they're handheld and can be used. So, yeah, um, we have to be careful how we ridicule people with their experiences because it may seem crazy sauce right now, but that doesn't mean that five years from now when things happen, um, five years ago the conversation of UFOs and UAPs would have never hit the floor of Congress. 2016, you'd have heard nothing. Right. It took from Lou Elizondo, December 17, 2017, to now took till 2022 mm. for us for us to yeah. five years after after the exposure on cnn took yeah. a year after that for them to say yes this is actual footage yeah. this is real we took it and still Not they're fake. hiding so much and still they're hiding so much now where we were talking earlier um with jason mcclellan about there's a lot of people out there that think the the alphabet agencies have knowledge of Sasquatch, um, where do you where do you fall on that? Yeah, I, I think so too, and I think that uh, I think there's teams of people who do occasionally have to take out. Oh wow! Wow! Yeah, like when a, if a Sasquatch is killing people in an area and cannibalizing or stuff, they they take out they come in and take out the entire family because they have to once they start. I mean, humans, we're slow. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and uh, you know, I'm sure, much like a dog with a chicken, um, let them get a hold of one chicken, see what they do with every chicken after. It's exactly uh, that right. may be yeah. that may be the same situation with yeah. Sasquatch. I don't know. I haven't yeah. met one yet. I have. Um, I have a friend who's a researcher that was approached after one of the conferences that he spoke at, and um, this brother and sister approached him and said, "You know, can we speak to you privately?" And and they told him that their father told them on his deathbed that he was part of this team and that that's wow yeah as he was dying he wanted them to know wow that and you hear about these deathbed confessions all the time and on numerous avenues this is the first time that i've heard of one in that realm and i'd I'd love to have you on further to to flesh that out and talk about that because 
um, there really is something strange going on in our national parks. Uh, be it missing 411 or what have you, or even the people that go missing Sasquatch hunting, stuff like that. Um, as somebody out there in the field regularly doing this research, what advice would you give our viewers and listeners uh, who are out there and want to go out and, I guess, get squatchy with it? Yeah. Um, um, know your area really good and... Would you get to your area, like the area you're going to research? Clean it up, like like with a fine-tooth mm. comb, you know, so that you know where everything is. Make yourself really familiar. If there's trash, pick it up and uh, photograph if you want or videotape and just clean it up real good because what these typically do when, they're, when they come in is so subtle that if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it because they'll bring you little things and they'll... You know, you'll, if you're not really paying attention, you'll you'll mi- you'll miss it because they're so subtle. And I, I think the the scariest thing in the forest when you're by yourself is other human beings. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm I have to you know be more ca- cautious in regards to the other human being, especially now. So many people have been kind of yeah homeless, and so it's a yeah. It, well, know, I mean, drug, even drug related. Yeah, I was going to say even beyond that, there are crop growers and all kinds of things exactly. out in the woods of national parks and state parks you nowadays. You have to be so careful um, and, and have a, have some kind of satellite device Yeah, because most of the mountains you don't have cell phone service. So be yep. sure that someone knows where you are at all times and you can get satellite, you know, uh, 911 out if you need one. Yeah. Those little in-reach things are mm-hmm. fantastic. Yep. Yeah. And, and even I, I always recommend people if they're going out and doing things like that, if you are just bringing your cell phone, make sure that last known location is enabled. Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah. I, and I Let car- somebody I, know where I, you're I going. Carry. I carry, yeah. too. Like oh, yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, <laughs> despite what you think about 2A folks, uh, you know, when you're, I, I was brought up hunting, things like that. If you have a sidearm, you bring it into the tree with you because there may be pigs on the way down. And guess who ain't going to let you down? Um, <laughs> exactly right. So, yeah, there's nothing you can do against a wild animal except defend yourself. That's so, right, yeah. Yeah, you, you really do have to be prepared for those eventualities, and you have to be ready for them. So yeah. um, going in uneducated, going in unprepared is dangerous. Could so. be very dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to thank you very much for the time today. You're welcome. Greatly thank appreciate you. being able to finally get you over here. Yeah. Uh, let everybody know where they can go to... Get sketches done where they can go if they have an experience that they would like illustrated. Yeah, yeah. Just go to my website, uh, SibyllaIrwin.com. Uh, just hit the contact bu- button, and that'll send me an email, and I'll get their email, and then we'll, I'll you know work in a time with them. I do not charge witnesses, so oh, if wow. someone's out there and wants a sketch, I'm not going to charge them for it. I don't do that. I don't, I don't believe in it. I think you know most people didn't ask for these experiences, mm. and most of you know so many are traumatized. I'm not going to charge a person. Wow, you know, just that's incredible. Well, that's incredible. Thank you so much for everything that you do, Sabella, and all your research and everything that you're doing to help healing people post-encounter. Very, very important work. Uh, While you are online checking out all the important work of Sabella Irwin, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. That is where you can find all the episodes, all the content. It's where you can find our Knowledge Vault. It's where you can find our Experiencer uh, forum. Stop on by CuriousRealm.com forward slash story. Share your experience with us. We will be right back after this commercial break to wrap up our coverage of Texas Bigfoot Conference 2022 here in Jefferson, Texas. We'll be right back after this, folks.
All right. Awesome. That was great. Awesome. 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 Oh, same here. I'd love to have you on again. With a rise in attention to the health benefits of cannabis and cannabinoids, including CBD, True Hemp Science has become one of the premier providers of full-spectrum CBD and CBD-related products. Using a proprietary spigeric process, True Hemp Science extracts maximum benefit from the whole hemp plant. Buds, leaves, stems, seeds, even roots... Every part of the plant is used and then reused to formulate a rich, complex profile of CBD, CBD derivatives, and terpenes guaranteed to provide the relief and benefits you need daily. Visit TrueHemScience.com to experience the best CBD oils, edibles, and topicals on the market today. And use code CURIOUS7 to save 7% off your entire purchase of $50 or more and get two 25-milligram CBD cookies or brownies free. That website, again, is TrueHemScience.com, and the code is CURIOUS7. Have you considered starting a podcast looking for a way to make your business a voice of authority in an industry? Then Podcast Cadet is the solution for you. Whether starting a podcast for yourself, your brand, business, school, church, or just plain fun, Podcast Cadet is here to help you navigate the waters of the podcast industry. Specializing in one-on-one consultation and training with industry professionals in fields ranging from podcast technology and editing to distribution, monetization, and even social media strategies, Podcast Cadet tailors their services to the specific needs of you and your podcast. Do you already have a podcast and trying to find ways to engage and grow your audience? Sign up for your Podcast Cadet audit today. And let us help you explore new and exciting ways to leverage your content and elevate your podcast brand to whole new levels. From consultation workshops to affordable podcast production and maintenance packages, Podcast Cadet is your one-stop shop for everything podcast-related on the Internet. Visit podcastcadet.com today to sign up for your consultation or training and use code CURIOUS20 to save 20% off your entire purchase. That website again is podcastcadet.com.
Curious Realm Podcast is your source for the latest and greatest news and events in the world of the paranormal, esoteric, and forbidden knowledge. And there's no better way to spark the conversation than with items from the Curious Realm store. Choose from fan favorites like hoodies, mouse pads, coffee mugs, and more. Buy books and items from your favorite Curious Realm guests. Get your hands on the latest gear for paranormal investigations and experiments we discuss on the show. Open your web browser and stop on by the Curious Realm store at CuriousRealm.com forward slash store to buy the latest Curious Realm wear and out-of-this-world gifts for yourself, your family, or a mind that you want to open. That website again is CuriousRealm.com forward slash store. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this final part of coverage from the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in Jefferson, Texas, the Bigfoot capital of Texas. We're very happy to welcome Anne Celine. She is the host of Caravan of Lore as well as founder of KPNL Radio. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. It was a pleasure meeting you at dinner last night, yes. having conversation with you aside. And I, I really wanted to have you on. I love talking to people who it's their first time at a conference. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, because these these are experiential events and they're, they really they're different than a lot of events that I go and work. Like mm-hmm. I work in the world of corporate AV. Right. Um, these are different communities. And even, even going from like the International Remote Viewing Association to this, mm-hmm. to other things, mm-hmm. they're all different communities that kind of cross and co-mingle in different ways. Yes. So it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, what has your experience been like over you the know, last couple of days? It's, I really like this. It's, it, you know, I went in 2019 to Arkansas to a paranormal expo. And then I think it was in 2021? There was a Bigfoot festival over in Washington that I went to. Oh, okay. And then, of course, there was a Dogman conference that I went to earlier this year, yep. which I absolutely loved. And so this is my very first Bigfoot convention or conference that I've been to. And uh, it's it's been amazing. I am really excited to be getting to know everybody. There's mm-hmm. that cross-pollination going there on. Is. And it begins to really feel like family, which is amazing. And so, yeah, and I've heard the the stories this place this is what really feels like everybody is telling more stories and yeah. really just connecting on that level you know yeah. so it's been that, that has been my experience as well is that there, i i akin uh these events a lot to comic-con oh i actually went to I, one of those for the a, first time this I'm year i'm a comic book freak <laughs> i've been going yeah. to comic conventions since they were not hip back right, in the right. 90s, since before, like, costume contests. <laughs> um, and, yeah, to see things get to that point now. Right. Um, and to know that even events like Texas Bigfoot mm-hmm. uh, Conference, it's like the 22nd year that yeah. this conference has been going on. That's impressive. And to know that it is one of the longest running mm-hmm. cryptid conferences right here in my backyard right. blows my mind. Right. Uh, to know that... This existed in my backyard for the entire time right. I've been interested in cryptozoology. That's lucky. And, you know, never never really knew about it till I met Craig Woolheater. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And it's nice to see these communities now, mm-hmm. I guess, getting their foot on the corner. Yes. 
you know, and getting some attention, garnering some attention. Mm -hmm. I think it does a lot for the research. Yes. Uh, So, yeah. You know, for the attendees, you know, I I just ended up being a speaker for the first time at the OC Paracon two weekends ago in California. And it was really incredible being able to stand in front of everybody and even just having a table. They come up to you and they tell you their stories. Yes. These are real experiences that have long-lasting effects. Sometimes they're traumatic, and they really stay with you, and these people are searching for these answers. So when we're here, it also kind of facilitates healing because as we tell our stories and they go, oh, wow, this person, they, they just went up there and they told this story, and that's similar to something that I've experienced. And then all of a sudden now they have found their voice and they can tell yeah. their story. And it's just, it's a blessing. Well, and it's interesting because even our last guest, uh, Sybilla Irwin, uh, she does sketch work, things yes. like that. And even, even her saying that her sketch work, the healing that she has seen oh. it bring people because yes. it's... It brings about a point of closure. It does. You know? Um, and even, even the experiences I've had in my life, mm-hmm. uh, it can be strange. And it can be hard mm-hmm. to reconcile that with your, I guess, paradigm of reality. Right. Uh, like, capital R reality. <laughs> yes. No, I, you know, as somebody who has experienced things since my earliest memories, I published a book about it, actually, mm. in February. Um even with, you know, shadow entities and ghosts, hauntings, uh, UFO, ET stuff, when I had my Sasquatch encounter, or I, I like to call it that just because of the silhouette that I saw and sure. the howls that I heard, um, as I stood there experiencing this, I was just shocked. And it was like my whole reality, it's like monsters are real is what I yeah, felt, yeah, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. And it took me a while to really wrap my head around it, even though I've been in this field. Well, explain your circumstances of your encounter real quick for the audience, yeah, just so course. they can grasp that. We, we had the conversation <laughs> yes, last night. Yes. Uh, so I was over in Ohio, and we had actually started out doing a ghost investigation. But when we were doing the Estes method, which is where you have the noise-canceling headphones, and you're blindfolded, and you're plugged into the SB7, and you're hearing those words words that are going through and you, you're saying the words out loud. It kept talking about trees and land and all of that kind of thing. So, of course, I had the idea of, all right, well, let's go out to the woods and do a ghost hunt, you know? Sure. Not thinking anything of it. Now, the other thing about it is, in Oregon, the forest is pretty silent. Mm. And that's just kind of how it is. And I don't know if it's just, it, it's so lush and everything, but over here, like in Texas or in Ohio. Oh, we rowdy. Oh, it's an orchestra. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's incredible. But when we got into this patch of woods, it was silent. Wow. And I did not register that. So when they said, hey, how are you feeling? Because I, I am empathic. Mm. Um, I was like... Oh, I'm fine, you know, thinking, oh, it's great. You know, it felt still and silent. And, of course, my history is in Oregon. Felt normal for you. Exactly. This is how the woods should feel. Yep, that's right. So I was like, all right, we're good. So we set up everything. And we have a blanket down on the ground. And I'm sitting there. And I hear something off kind of behind me to my right. And it sounds like two bipedal footsteps. And I'm thinking, it's probably a bird. It's probably just a bird. Whatever. You know, okay. And I sit there a little longer. 
And this is when I hear this really low guttural growl. And you could really, you could feel it. It made you feel sick. But I look at the other people that I'm with. No reaction. Nothing. So I'm sitting there going, okay, I'm the only one that heard it. I don't want to be the scaredy cat in the group. Yeah, or the so, weirdo. Or the weirdo. I don't want to be the weirdo out in the middle of the woods looking for Bigfoot with a bunch of Bigfoot squatchers. Right, exactly. I'm just like, I don't, you know. Wow, wow. So I, I stand up and I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this. And I stand up and I turn around because now I'm wanting to watch what's behind me. I don't want anything mm. to, you know, sneak up on me. Yeah. And I find this little flashlight and I'm looking over and I've got it pointed like this. And sure enough, off in the distance next to a tree... I see the classic silhouette, where it's the head yeah. and the shoulders and the arm yeah. is around the tree. Yeah, the peekaboo. Yeah, and I'm going, no, no, you're not part of my reality. I'm not subscribing to this. No, I'm not out here for you. Despite you, despite your paranormal experiences yes. in your life. Exactly, exactly. And wow. so I, wow, I just, what a denier. <laughs> Like, seriously. (laughs) Yeah, it's true, though. I did not want that. (laughs) Well, and it's interesting that you say that, though. Yeah. That you did not want that. Right. Right. Exactly. So, at this point, I'm wanting to disengage. I don't want to be seeing what I'm seeing. Wow. So, I move the flashlight over, but I'm not very far. I'm only about to hear. And that's when we hear this really loud, open-handed smack against the vehicle that we drove in on. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. And I'm standing there frozen now. They look at me, and they go, hey, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, nope, nope, nope. I want to go out to the field. I can't be in, in the wow. forest anymore. we got to go. <laughs> and so they're like, okay, all right, you know. Of course, they had no idea what was going on. Now, when they heard that really loud, open-handed smack against the vehicle... They're in ghost hunting mode. Normally, bangs and footsteps and moans or whatever is normal when you're in a, you know, in a location, a building. So they laughed it off. Yeah. Well, we get back into the vehicle. Nothing was around there when when we walked to the vehicle. And we drive out. And we get to the field and they say, well, are you feeling better? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm doing better. And that's when... My friend that I was with takes her phone and holds it up like this. And it's the 1994 Ohio Howl recording. And she's just blurting it out to the forest. Mm. And sure enough, the exact same sound, the cadence, the length of the howl, the everything comes right back at us out of the woods. And I'm standing there, and that's, that's the moment that I'm like, monsters do exist. That's the moment my reality was just kind of broken. And I'm just like, you know, and then it wasn't much long after that you could hear this tree being ripped up out of the ground and smacked against another tree. Did you all find the tree? No, man. Okay, okay. Like we, yeah. <laughs> we, we got in the okay, vehicle. Okay, we're out. <laughs> yes. See we you. got in the vehicle and we were driving off. And of course, it's just like this little gator. So we all pop in. It's like a clown car. Me, you know, just real slow. And, uh, you know, and I can just visualize that it could, you know, you hear about them uh, bluff charging you or, mm. or following you or there's multiple, you know, and there's strength. Sure. And I'm just visualizing this and thinking that it can come up and go like this to the vehicle and flip us over yeah, and yeah. we snacks, you know. 
and uh, but we made it back to to base camp, and I'm just like, well, I'm done. Uh, I'm a knower now. <laughs> I don't need to be a believer. I yeah. feel like I'm a knower. Yeah. Until the second half of the experience happened. Now, what we decided to do after that, what I was thinking is, okay, can we communicate it through the est- with the Estes method? Okay. And it was after a while, after I calmed down and everything, we go out, boom, Estes method again. We got the earphones. We got the blindfold. And we asked, um, well, at first you could hear something. There was movement. Mm. And up on the ridge, and I wasn't the only person that saw this, you could see the silhouette peeking out from a tree that was up there, but it swayed back and forth. Mm. And then one of the other people that we were with, we turned a flashlight on because we were just, how far can the flashlight go? What can we see? Well, that's when the person on the Estes method, now they didn't know the flashlight was on, they didn't hear it turn on, they didn't see it turn on. She says, bright, too bright. And so, boom, we turn the flashlight off. Next thing she says is, see, you see me. And we're just like perplexed, you know? Wow. And then from there, the conversation began as talking about how there's something missing, something lost. And they said, we were once worshipped, but now a myth. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Then that kind of makes me go, okay, could it... Could there be two camps? Like, the two camps, could they both exist? There's sure. the people that believe that it's zoological and just flesh and blood. Then there's the people yeah. that believe it's paranormal. And then I thought, okay, well, what if it's a shapeshifter mm-hmm. that can play off of our that, minds? That is quite literally exactly the conversation that we had with Jason McLean earlier, the mm-hmm. one that we've had with him on previous episodes. As right. a, we're both in the camp of there is a physical creature. Right. Unknown to science. Absolutely. But is it the fact that maybe these other entities are using what we are comfortable with? Right. You know, um, our known modalities Mm -hmm. of, well, if they saw me, they might freak out. But if they saw this. (laughs) Yes. No, it's true. It's true. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 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 been interesting to see. Over the last few years, the number of UFO UAP cases that are tied in with paranormal, yes. the number of Bigfoot and cryptid sightings that are tied in with paranormal, uh, used to be these were all just under the banner mm-hmm. of paranormal. Right, right. Um, and, and now it's interesting to see the factions um, right. and, to, and to literally see the infighting between yes. factions in these right. communities. Um the, the hardcore physical squatchers that are like, you're crazy with the portals, um, and the opposite way around. I think that it comes down to fear. Okay. Because if my reality is that something could be physical, and I'm okay with something being physical, but I'm sitting sure. there going, oh, I don't know about all this paranormal stuff, and da-da-da-da-da, and then if we t- were to find out that it was paranormal, that's going to kind of break your reality a little bit. Sure. And people don't want to go outside of that box. Yeah. 
So I think that some of it, at least, can come from that fear of not wanting that reality, that safety to be broken. Sure. So. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we're fragile animals ourselves, psychologically. And it, it, when things happen uh, that cause you to question oh, yeah. the world in which you live, cause you to question the way in which you have lived your life yes. at some points even, um, with, the, with these experiences, it can it can be a life stealing moment. Oh yeah, for certain. And, and the fact of it can not only steal part of your life, but it will change the way you view and act oh, to yeah. the world around you. Exactly. And how have you found your experiences to change the way you look at the world around you? Well, this one specifically. <laughs> I mean, like you said, you are now a knower. You, right. don't, you don't need belief. You don't need question. Right. No, I had my experience. I know what I experienced yeah. and what I kind of saw, you know. And I, with my book, the mm. title is Aperture in the Veil, Ooh. Born in a Preternatural World. Okay. And so I chose the word preternatural specifically because I feel that this stuff is actually very natural to our world. I don't mm. think, it, when we use terms like paranormal or yeah. supernatural, I think that it creates a separatism. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'm wanting to really bring this in to be like, okay, everybody, there's so much that the human eyes can't see and so much that the human ears can't hear, but that doesn't mean that, that stuff isn't real or doesn't Absolutely. exist. Absolutely. That, otherwise, every piece of film a doctor has ever yep. taken from me is imaginary because right. I can't see x-rays. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. My remote control is just a wizard in a box <laughs> yes, yes. because I can't see infrared. Exactly. Um, it, it, just the other day, my wife was telling me about somebody in the mom's group while they were out. Uh, talking about this crazy friend who believes in crystals and all that. Oh. And I just started cracking up. Yep. Because, um, well, I believe in crystals. <laughs> I am surrounded by them. I have one in my pocket. Mm. Um, and <laughs> I was like, oh, that's just, that's hilariously sad and short-minded. And she, yeah. She's like, well, you know, Chris, not everybody has that spiritual connection that you do. I was like, mm. I understand that, but I'm sure she had a cell phone in her hand, right? With a liquid crystal display. Yes. And vibrating quartz and yep, yep. silicon that make yep. the chips. Exactly. Uh, you know, all of those crystals <laughs> yes. and the power of the, the lithium crystals that are powering oh, yes. the phone. So I guess all that crystal vibration yep. stuff is just willy-nilly, <laughs> not actual science. Never right. mind the piezo microphone that's literally mm -hmm. a sliver of crystal between two pieces of metal. Picking yep. up your voice and the opposite <laughs> direction, giving you a speaker. Yes, um, exactly. Like all powered by crystals. So, yeah. <laughs> pop that one in her head next time she says something. Right. Um, and yeah. she did. And she was like, they all just started looking at their phones like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's like, here's five ways that literally crystals are powering your life yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. So, Forget about the willy-nilly mm -hmm. vibration of crystals. That's a thing. Oh, yeah. Like, no. It's... I agree with that. You know, and, and there's other things, too. Like, uh, I, I feel that our intuition, psychic mm. abilities, I believe that we all have it. Yep. It's a matter of working them out like a muscle. Oh, sure. No, exactly. I mean, it... I have friends that are naturally athletic, much more right. athletic than I am. We both started athletics at the same time and they yep. just excelled more yep. than me they yep. could run better they had better coordination things mm -hmm. like that i knew how to run right i just course. didn't run as well as them right right 
Yep. No, it's true. <laughs> so, I yeah. mean, yeah. Um, these things are nascent inside of us. They're mm-hmm. they're there. Yeah. There's a reason why you walk into a party and you feel like somebody's tugging a string behind your belly button. Like, yes. you need to go. Yes. You need oh, to yeah. like follow that instinct. Go. Um, <laughs> yes. Feel free to follow it. Try mm. following it more and being in tune to that. Oh, now, yeah. As someone who's worked in the paranormal, things like that, before we let you go, mm. uh, what can people, what do, what do you find the common person can do to, I guess, attune themselves more mm. to that world? And, and that's not to say, like, inviting things. Right. Um, I'm not saying go out and buy right. a spirit board, no, folks. No, of course, <laughs> of course right. not. Um, right, but yeah, what well, can, what can they do to? I think the number one thing is to be open minded. You have to accept the possibility that you are capable of doing this. Mm. Really, open yourself up to that. You know that thought, and then from there. Maybe write a journal that kind of keeps track of, well, I kind of had this inkling here and then it turned out to be true, yeah. you know, or write down synchronicities, mm. you know, yeah. because the more aware you become, the more I think that it will build and grow. I'm, I'm, I'm big on encouraging people to dream journal. Oh, yes. Um, I do not nearly dream the way I used to. I used to be very active with my dreaming, going to sleep with intent for finding yes. answers, things like that. Right. But but even then, um, I recommend people that are trying to go down this path, start dream journaling. Start paying really close yes. attention to your dreams because that that is quite literally where your subconscious mind gets to unwrap and unravel mm-hmm. everything that it uh, autonomically went through. Oh, yes. Throughout the day that... You literally just did not have the bandwidth to deal with at that That's moment. That's right. You tucked it away. I'm going to store this away. I can't deal with that jive right now. I got to go do this. <laughs> yep. Um, exactly. But when you're asleep, you got nothing but time to jive. That's true. And, That's true. And it really does give you an insight into a lot of things. Um, yes. Here recently, I had the great opportunity to go be a sponsor at the International Remote Viewing Association. That's amazing. And not only there, but the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Oh, um, wow. And it was interesting to me to see so many crossovers of researchers. Um, names like Hal Putoff mm-hmm. were, were mentioned. Um, uh, people, people like Robert Bigelow mm-hmm. uh, producing work in both areas and mm-hmm. financing work in both areas. And it's, it's interesting to me how... Everybody involved with the science, and I say science of remote viewing because, like, it's it's there. Like, yes. they got the numbers. They can show you mm-hmm. this is no random chance. Right. Remote viewing. It, it is a thing. Yes. But everybody involved with the founding of that, all of them particle physicists. All physicists. Oh. Every single one of them. Wow. And I'd followed the work of remote viewing and the Stanford mm-hmm. Institute, SRI, things like that for years and years. But until I went there and met them and started talking to them and interviewing right. them and hearing them talk, it just, I never saw the, na- the letters behind the name. And it right. was one of those like, wow, every single one of you is a theoretical physicist, something. Oh, wow. So right. this ain't fake. 
Oh no! See, <laughs> when you, you know, got when you got theoretical physicists right working on this, and not just yep. working on it, but working on it over twenty years. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, remote viewing is something I don't talk about it a whole lot, but it's something that I've definitely been interested in. Um, I have had success, and mm. then uh, I did. Remote view Montauk once oh. and had and actually that photograph that I showed you at dinner uh-huh. last night uh, that happened shortly after my attempt to remote view into Montauk. Oh wow! Uh, I would love to have you on to talk about that. I've yet to do a Montauk <laughs> episode, but yes. I've been I've been wanting to do one. So yeah. I'd love to have you on about that. I've been I've been curious because I I say it on the show all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To, to deny vibration, once right, again, right. silly and stupid. Uh, by, by all known physics right now, mm-hmm. we are physically not here. This mm-hmm. table is not here. Right. Me touching it is just a repulsion of electron. Right, right. Nothing more. Um, I am sharing an electron show with a dude in Peru and yes. another guy in Dallas right now. Yep. Uh, that, that's what we physically know of the universe mm-hmm. and of the construction of matter. Right. So to know that... Ninety percent of both of us is empty space. Yes, yes. But we can still high five. <laughs> I know <laughs> that's pretty remarkable, man. Uh, yeah, and, and really should set forth a panoply of movement mm-hmm. in people's brains when they think about it. That's true. Uh, you know, just the fact because once again, um, I know X-rays real. Can't yep. see it. <laughs> that's true. I've seen the results of it. Yes. But I can't see the x-rays. So right. we need to, we need to, I think, lose this concept of seeing is believing. Yes. I agree with that. And, and move, move forward. Be, be a little bit more, uh, I guess, proactive in how we react and act to the world around us. Yes, I agree. Fullheartedly. I want Perfectly to thank part. you for the time. I know you have been over helping Ken Gerhardt manage <laughs> manage his booth, things like that. Before we let you go, let the audience know, oh, of course, yeah. where they can go to check out Caravan of Lore, where they can go to follow KPNL Radio, yeah. where they can go to get your book. It is time for shameless, shameless <laughs> self-promotion. Yeah, uh, let's see. Gosh, so the Caravan Library of Lore is everywhere. You can find it on Instagram, Facebook, uh, in Google. It'll be the first First thing that comes up, just type in Caravan of Lore and you're good. KPNL Radio is the same thing. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, that one's KPNL-DB.com. Okay. And then my book is on Amazon. It's Aperture in the Veil, Born in a Preternatural World. Awesome. Well, yeah. I will be buying my copy of that before I leave today. I would love <laughs> to have you on a full episode. I would love that. To talk about the writing of the book, what... What it's been like since writing it, yes. and what your next moves are about of course. writing. So, I would love that. thank you so much for your time today, and I greatly <laughs> appreciate it. Thank While you. you are online checking out all of the amazing work of Anseline, make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. CuriousRealm.com is the website. That is where you can find all of our episodes. That's where you can find all of our content. It's where you can find the Knowledge Vault full of declassified government materials. Uh, It's also where you can find our experiencer page, CuriousRealm.com forward slash story. If you are an experiencer of the paranormal, cryptids, if you are a targeted individual, stop on by, tell us your story. We will pose your story to our experts and researchers when we have them on the show about the topic. So stop on by, check that out. You can leave anonymous, uh, anonymous, uh, invites, all that kind of good stuff. So 
Once again, everybody, thank you so much for your time today and always. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. That is it for our coverage of the Texas Bigfoot Conference here in the Texas Bigfoot Capital of Jefferson. So until next time, everybody, stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Curious Realm. Stay tuned for more guests, forbidden topics, and hidden truths. Download the official Curious Realm app and view the Knowledge Vault on our website, CuriousRealm.com. Follow us on social media by searching Curious Realm. Curious Realm is available on your favorite podcast services, as well as YouTube, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV through the APR TV app, available on all app markets. Curious Realm is a proud member of the HC Universal Network family of podcasts. For more great content or to become a sponsor of Curious Realm or other podcasts, visit hcuniversalnetwork.com today. Thanks for listening. Stay curious. And remember, the other side is always watching.